Welcome to episode 83 of the Win 6 podcast, official podcast of BehindTheBookPass.com. I'm your host, site expert, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual this week, we have contributor, Jordan Tresky. Hello, Jordan. Hello. This week, we're going to roll quite a few things into one, but before I get down to what we're going to talk about just a quick important scheduling note for you some of you may be listening to this it may just have appeared in your itunes feed and your soundcloud feed and you're just listening could be could be wednesday by now and you don't know in case you missed it i tweeted out earlier but ahead of the season we have moved our days we will now Generally, there might be an exception here or there, but we'll generally be recording on Sundays. And the podcast will be dropping every Monday. So those of you who like to send mailbag questions our way, you can get at us on Twitter at Behind the Books or send us an email at winningsixpodcast at gmail.com. You now need to do that on Sunday. If you send us them on Monday, you're too late, and I will forget by the time the next week rolls around. So, important note for everyone. Start your week off with a nice cup of Folgers, and then you get a nice, hefty win in six. Hefty is the word. I don't know. You need something pretty significant to wash down the size portion of win in six you'll get to start your week. Yes. It might leave people sluggish for the first half of the week. But you'll get your second win towards the weekend. That's really what matters. A nice V8 tomato juice. <laughs> They're not sponsors. No, but if they want to, I mean, winning six podcasts at gmail.com. We put it out there. <laughs> um, this week, we're going to do something that way, way back, probably two, two and a half months ago, we promised we would do on a bigger scale and just things came up, didn't go quite as planned. We never got around to revisiting our predictions in a sort of division by division or conference by conference way. But some of you remember, Jordan and I made our projections for every team in the NBA. We showed some win totals. We argued about it. I laughed at Jordan multiple months back. And now we're going to revisit them and give our final predictions, projections heading into the season. We're going to look at every team in the NBA and as a result how the conferences will stack up 
We're also going to run through the general NBA award lists with our predictions for who will win what. And then we'll move on to some books predictions, some details a little bit more specific to Milwaukee's roster and what we see being in store for the season. When all that's done, then it's really back to business like we haven't been since way back at the start of April. We'll look through the upcoming slate for the week ahead. Three games for the books. We'll preview them, give our predictions. I'm sure you've missed that. Let's get down to it, Jordan. What's... I feel there's no better way to do this than for us to just get the get the win totals out of the way, put them out there, and then discuss some of the teams we agree on, disagree on. I'm I'm 100% certain you have some shocks in store for us all. If no one knows by now, I'm I I live to shock the system. No, not really. But sometimes I don't, I don't know if you saw. Well, we should probably get this out of the way. That the team that Jordan was incredibly high on last time that I've made fun of him multiple <clears> times. <throat> There was two. There was more than like one. There was the Hornets two. were the most egregious, though. You were really high on the Hornets. Yeah, I've cooled. Oh, that's funny because I don't know if you saw CBS Sports did a did their own sort of uh, prediction thing a couple of days ago through to the playoffs, and Matt Moore, otherwise known as a HP Basketball on Twitter, he had the Hornets getting to the conference finals, and I saw it, and I could only think of you. Let's just say I, I disagree with that. <laughs> I think I broke Jordan down. Yeah. Let's start out no, with you didn't break me down, you showed me the light. Okay, I'll take that. Let's yeah. start out west because it's sort of it's that distant place where all our emotions are a little bit further away and we'll just casually discuss it, agree about it, and then we can move on to arguing. Do you want to go first with your win totals for the Western Conference? Sure. How are we doing this? Are we going like we did last time where we're, teams that missed the playoffs up to yeah, well, obviously, work, work from the bottom up? Okay. Obviously, it's not going to be a surprise at the top. Um, I don't know. We don't know, Jordan. You have to give us your list. It might be. Yeah. It keeps the suspense going here. I mean, come on. Spoiler alert, it's not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> I said that's super sad. <laughs> All right, here we go. <clears throat> From the bottom to the top, the Western Conference. Coming in last, according to me. Phoenix. Wow, he's already started with the hot takes. <laughs> with 22 wins. Wow. Coming in 14th, the Los Angeles Lakers with 26 should I also say over or under? Because I have the over-unders by me. Okay, well, I I don't have the over-under lines for mine, so maybe we'll have to run. No, I mean, we don't need to do that. You're calling it out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Fine. People can deal with that themselves. You don't want to put a hat on a hat. I don't know. That's, that sounds like you're encouraging people to bet on your prediction. No, which... no, please don't. Yeah, please exactly. Not. So we'll leave over-unders out of it. Okay. Uh, in 13th. The Sacramento Kings with 30 wins. Coming in 
12th, the New Orleans Pelicans with 35 wins. Coming in, 11th, the Dallas Mavericks with 38 wins. Oof. Coming in 10th. He pauses and takes a sip of water. I, can't, I, can't I, I should have timed that out cor correctly. Uh, coming in 10th, the Oklahoma City Thunder with 39 wins. Oof. Coming in 9th, the Minnesota Timberwolves with 40 wins. You, you haven't said the Nuggets yet, have you? That's funny that you mentioned that. Coming in 8th, entering the playoffs and riding the stream. The Denver Nuggets with 42 wins. Coming in seventh, the Memphis Grizzlies with 44 wins. Coming in sixth, Portland Trailblazers with 46 wins. Coming in fifth, the Houston Rockets with 47 wins. Coming in fourth, the Utah Jazz with 49 wins. Coming in third, San Antonio Spurs with 54 wins. Coming in second, the Los Angeles Clippers with 57 wins. And atop of the Western Conference, according to me, and only me, 68 wins for the Golden State Warriors. Okay. I'll do mine, and then we'll, we'll stop and we'll discuss. I have all mine listed here, but they're not in order, so bear with me. <laughs> in last place, with 19 wins, the Los Angeles Lakers. 14th, with 23 wins, the Phoenix Suns. 13th, 34 wins, the Sacramento Kings. In 12th, with 36 wins, the Denver Nuggets. Oh. In 11th, with 37 wins, the New Orleans Pelicans. In 10th, with 40 wins, the Dallas Mavericks. Ninth with 41 wins, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Eighth place, 42 wins, the Minnesota Timberwolves. With 43 wins, seventh place belongs to Houston Rockets. At six, I have the Portland Trailblazers with 44 wins. In fifth place, I have the Memphis Grizzlies with 46 wins. In fourth, I have the Los Angeles Clippers with 50 wins. Third place belongs to the Utah Jazz with 52 wins. In second place, I have the San Antonio Spurs with 57 wins. 
On top of the pops, matching Jordan's prediction, I have the Golden State Warriors with 68 wins. Were you doing some sort of charting or predictions against each other there? I saw the, the pen and paper out. Yes, I was charting. Okay, so where, where do we need to start discussing, debating? <clears throat> should, should we, I think we should start with the Lakers because we both, we have the, I think you have the Suns at 22 and I have them at 23. But the difference is you have them bottom in the West because you have some sort of fate in the Lakers. Well, it's a difference of seven wins from each other. But I that's, feel that's like a lot of wins for bad That teams. is a lot. That is a lot. But as much as we, I think we uh, were very harsh on this the first time we talked about this. I believe I called Nick Young a clown. Um, uh, um, and then I, I, I do feel the same. I, I just think... That's, and that was before the whole clown craze. Yeah, hit, hit was, that was a premonition. Yeah, yeah that, that is was... weird. What the... What the aging double hockey sticks? Um, I, I just think for as much ridicule as their offseason gets, obviously overpaying Mozgov... I would argue overpaying Luol Deng, and just not just the overpay, it's just the length of those contracts. Those are still serviceable players and big upgrades on what they had last year. I mean, going from Roy Hibbert to Timothy Mozgov, in my mind, even throwing Zubac, I know he's a rookie, but I feel like he is still better than what they had last year. Uh, it's Last year was, was it Robert, Robert Sacro was he back up last year? Was Robert Sacro was back there. I, I want to say Tark Black eventually got in the rotation. Yeah. Not a bad, you know, third big, but I and I think too, James was gonna be I feel like uh he's gonna be really good under Luke Walton. I like Larry Nance. Actually, I will make a prediction right now. Larry Nance is MVP. Larry Nance, no, not that. No, not that. <laughs> Uh, hot take you. I, I believe he's going to take it's either him or uh, Brandon Ingram plays well enough to take uh, Julius Randle's starting spot before the end of the year. Ooh. Mm. See, my problem with the Lakers is I don't I don't get D'Angelo Russell. I don't know. People really still seem to love him. People talk about him as if he's just going to turn something on that wasn't there last year uh it's nice and easy to blame kobe and trust me i i'm fully in support of the idea that there was some blame to go around and that it's not easy to be a young player when you have a guy like that i'm mean, gonna have to look at the way he went out that's not exactly developing the young players in your team but i don't fully get why people are so high on d'angelo russell i didn't get a pre-draft I don't know if you remember, but his his surge up the draft boards was very late as well. Mm -hmm. Went from being sort of in the five and six range to, well, he's definitely going top two. Maybe, you know what, he could even go one sort of talk. And I found that strange at the time, and there was nothing last year that sort of, I don't know, disproved that for me. Obviously, the biggest thing... I mean, the biggest thing from his rookie season was the whole Nick Young thing. And 
that just said something about where he was in terms of maturity and a bit like a guy who was a little closer to home for us um who was a rookie last year i worry when guys are that immature coming into the league that it sort of hits them really hard swallows them up and spits them out before they know what's going on really Go on, that, that's go. true. I mean, I just think, as much as the whole Kobe circus uh, brought up the worst of the Lakers, really, um, I just I think ultimately the reason why he ultimately plays better, the biggest upgrade of all in my mind is just Luke Walton replacing Byron Scott. Byron Scott was, I mean. Uh, I, there's so much said about Byron Scott in the last year that it just feels like it's just hitting everybody over the head at this point, but he was just so terrible. And obviously uh, I think being fired and knowing where to choose this time to let him go all this stuff. I think that pretty much says what he was made to do in the last few years. He was made to manage a team that was supposed to be good. They had the best intentions of trying to turn around, but, Ultimately, they're trying to get talent for the future, and he was managed to manage the whole Kobe saga, which only happened last year. But, I mean, I just don't think he even came close. I know Sam Mitchell, and we'll get to the Timberwolves probably too, but I know Sam Mitchell gets a lot of flack for – or got a lot of flack for, you know, being this caretaker coach in more unfortunate circumstances. But I would view him – his job and what he did last year was so much better than what uh, Byron Scott did in kind of a similar outlook of, of a team. You know what I mean? Like, it just uh, – he was just terrible. Similar outlook, but those two teams were like polar opposite ends of the scale on how to deal with that, where the Timberwolves oh, yeah. got like all these mentor veterans in to help the young guys, and then the Lakers had Kobe and Nick Young and Lou Williams. Brandon Bass, don't forget Brandon Bass. Well, I mean, I, I didn't want to put Brandon Bass in that club. I don't think he's earned that, but... Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. The thing with Luke Walton, for me, I think it's a big coaching upgrade, but I think it could take a year of just being bad and him trying to instill the right sort of fundamentals and getting them to play in a certain way to break through the damage that Byron Scott did. I think there's a there's a lot of learning for those young guys. Um I mean this guy not even Daniel Russell. Jordan Clarkson hasn't played for another coach, has he? No, he hasn't. So No. no. Uh Julius Randall hasn't. No. And obviously Brand Brandon Ingram's lucky enough that his first coach is gonna be Luke Walton rather than the previous regime, I, I think that it, that can't be, that can't be underestimated. The effect of, I don't know, an actual system being put in place, and I think coming from the environment where he has come, and even before that, as a player, when you look at with the Lakers, I mean, he played under Phil Jackson, whatever. He's he's been a a guy who. A lot of his time and a lot of his biggest successes around the NBA 
have come within very clearly defined systems. So I guess he's going to look to put something and a real sort of trademark style in place for this young Lakers team. I think that's great for them long term, but I think they don't really go anywhere with it this year. They might play better basketball. They might actually sort of, they might be fun to watch, but I'm not, I don't believe it's going to translate to wins. That's where I'm coming from in the Lakers. That's true. Where do we need to go next? Hmm. Well, I think the next one has to be Denver. Okay. Because you have them at 36 wins. I have them at 42 in making the playoffs. Um, My issue with Denver is they almost have too much young talent that they're going to have to take some time to let it all sort of shake out and find out who is who are the key guys who will be the leaders within their team, the main parts of their rotation going forward. I, I don't think you can just throw all of these talented young players together and be a good team. Some of those guys aren't going to work out, and even if they're good players, they're just not going to work out in Denver. Um, I'm not convinced on whether Nikola Jokic, Yusuf Nurkic, front court is the answer. I really like both players. I lean much more heavily towards Nurkic. I think people sleep on Nurkic because of his injuries and everything. And obviously, Jokic came in, had a good year last year. But I'm not convinced that that's going to work out. And I mean, there are lots of questions in the backcourt. You've still got Moody A sort of adjusting to things. Now you're going to have Jamal Murray come in. What sort of role is he going to play? I also am still worried by guys like Galnari, Wilson Chandler, and the big contracts they're on. And you do need some veteran presence within your rotation. What sort of minutes are they going to get? Are they going to get too many, too little? I love what the Nuggets are doing. I really like Mike Malone as a coach. Um, I think I think it was a while back, but I only listened to it recently. Um, when Mike Malone and Tim Connolly were on the Vertical podcast with Woj. I thought that was great. It was, it really was a very sort of natural, relaxed dynamic, and Woj made a big thing out of that. But it, it really did come across compared to often when you hear other GMs or coaches or the two together speaking. So I'm a big fan of what they're doing. I've I have a feeling something big is going to happen there this year, and I, I think they could they could get involved in a trade. This. It's only occurred to me really when listening to that, but all the talk of like Boogie Cousins trades. It's fascinating how Malone like goes back to it. Obviously, it's a source of pride for him and he justifies the job he did in Sacramento, which was a good job. He was wrongfully fired. But he, even in that podcast made comments like, well, I got things out of the markets that no other coach has ever got out of him these sort of little remarks and Cousins clearly was very fond of him at the time. I just wonder if things came to a head in Sacramento and they did decide to move Boogie. I think the Kings are a team who'd have the pieces to do a deal and it could be worth both teams' while. I mean, if the Kings got a couple of nice young wings and one of Jokic or Nurkic back, Nuggets have picks too. They could build a really great package. 
And I had Buggy in Denver could be a lot of fun reuniting Mike Malone. That's just me throwing something completely random out there. But I feel they have so many good young pieces that a big deal like that, or at least I'm trying to make deals, is in play. I want to say they were a team rumored to try and get involved when the Hawks were considering moving Paul Millsap as well. If memory serves me right. They were also rumored to go in. Well, obviously the Blake Griffin, even who knows yeah, that's how right. real that is, but also Kevin Love. They've been every sneakily. big, every big guy. Like that's Lamarcus Aldridge is the the buzz name at the moment. It wouldn't surprise me if his name. And of course, the Wayne Wave. Who could forget the Wayne Wave? Yeah, exactly. They were the other team with the books who people were scratching their heads, but they took that meeting. They're looking to do something and do something big. And you know what? I, I could be very wrong on it if they pull something off because if they could get a more proven, really experienced, top-class player in, they could then have the right mix of outstanding young talent and proven guys ready to go now to break through to the playoffs. On the assumption that we have to roll with they're going to be who they are through the season, there'll be a lot of fun. I'll watch them at every chance I get but too much figuring out to make the playoffs for me. <clears throat> oh, boy. The reason why I am high on the Denver Nuggets is because I see a similar team to a uh, – or I see a similar team that reminds me of a team that I follow and why I'm doing this podcast right now. Uh, I believe – they have a very similar mix to what the Bucks had two years ago, where they went on to 41 wins. I, they are obviously much younger than that Bucks team. There isn't, you know, a guy like Zaza. There isn't really a Dudley, even though you could say Wilson Chandler, veteran-wise. Not, I'm not saying production-wise. Similar experience or whatever. Uh, even Gallinari to that extent. He could be like Ursan, I guess. Uh, if I were to compare player by player, all this stuff, I just think for me, what what I see from this team is that they have quality. Like you said, as a, it could be a problem for them in some games, but having not a huge drop off in talent when you go on a bench and you know injuries pile up over the course of the season, all that stuff, I think that's huge. Personally. Um, I, I think we've seen teams, obviously Bucks are a big example of that, but we've also seen like, you know, the Celtics do really well with that. Even maybe throwing the Blazers last year too. I just think having got, you know, your rotation go 10 deep if need be is such a big thing for teams over the course of the season, especially if it's like mid-January or something like that. And you're just trying to get through a road trip, you know, six game road trip or something like that. Just to, Put out quality players night after night is huge in my mind over the course of the regular season. And I just think, obviously, Moutier had his struggles very early on, and he rebounded to some extent. He still wasn't – it wasn't world-beating numbers by any means. But I think having Wilson Chandler is going to be huge for them because he gives them something that they really needed from any forward spot. Uh, Gallinari is – he's still – I want to say he only played like 52 games last year, but he was still pretty efficient 
enough for them. I was about to say, it sounds like you're assuming that both Gallo and Will Chandler aren't going to get injured. Well, I'm, I'd like to be hopeful that they don't. But, uh, uh, yeah, those are big ifs, obviously. But I think... And I think I, I I think Murray's going to be really good for them too. Obviously, Garrett Harris is out with was it a strained quad or something like that? You, something significant. Uh, something like that might even be a little bit more significant, isn't he? Four to six weeks or something. Four to six, it might be like a tear actually. It's like tear. I think it's a, a partial like tear or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think he uh, obviously even Malik Beasley. I don't think he's as ready. He's definitely not as ready as Murray. But having him maybe 10 minutes a game, if he has to fill in sometimes, I just think ultimately this team is really deep. And obviously you talked about Jokic and Nurkic. If they eventually go, that might be my biggest worry, is that they stick to that for the whole season. I don't think that's ultimately the best way to go for them. But if they go, you know, use them equally, obviously we have, like, we can relate following the Bucks how hard it is to try to, juggle a big man rotation with two very qualified – well, they have more qualified bigs, I would say. But <laughs> trying to juggle that rotation, um, it can be hard. But I think, again, it just comes back to you're not going to have that much of a drop-off. And it gives, gives something different to put on the floor at different times. And I just think that ultimately works in their favor. Um, I don't know. And the, that's the other thing, too. Uh, obviously, Gallinari – Chandler, I want to say Moody was out for a while. The biggest thing probably is just being healthy. They were one of the had one of the worst injury luck last year outside of the Grizzlies or the Pelicans. Pelicans yeah. So uh, I, that might be the biggest worry for me um, as far as those kind of factors go. But I just think they have a really qualified roster. That it's some surprise team is going to come out. Of, Somewhere, I just think it's, I feel like it's them. I just kind of disagree on them going 10 deep. If they go 10 deep, they just go 10 deep. Although mm-hmm. I really like the players beyond that. This is one of the, the rare rosters in the league where I like most guys on the roster. I just, like Juancho Hernan Gomez or Jamal Murray or Malik Beasley, guys like that, are they really ready just yet? Then you have, will Gary Harris build on what he did last year, or will we see rookie Gary Harris again? Can Will Barton keep playing at the incredible level? Oh, yeah, I forgot about Will Barton. Year? Even the, the, he, uh, Go on, yeah. Sorry. Well, he, uh, the, the, uh, one other thing, too, I, I don't know if you're going to get into it, but guys like Barton, I, I want to say Gallinari's in the contract year, those guys are, I would say, top 10 trade candidates. Even top five, just because. But I mean, their their number one trade candidate was what I was about to get to, which has to be Fareed. Oh yeah. Like I mean, they're they're trying to shop Fareed forever, and Fareed is actually he's part of the reason why Nurkic Jokic concerns me because if they decide to go away from two bigs, they're gonna go right to him. They're going Fareed and one and Fareed. Freed has more of a traditional big man skill set than either of those guys, even though he's smaller. I mean, both those guys have more shooting range than Freed has. Uh, I just, I'm not sure on that. Like, I think their best path, best lineup is picking one of those centers and playing Gallo at the four. 
But then with Gallo's health history, I don't know if his body can take matching up against bigger guys at the four. So I see Pats. I really like their team. Um, I don't. I have them at 36. I don't have them far out of that. I mean, if they got close to 500, who knows? If some injuries went other ways in the West or if they made, even if it wasn't a big trade, but they made one sort of subtle good trade, they could definitely get close. I just think they have a lot of figuring out to do. Like that, I think their shooting guard rotation, when everyone's healthy, that's the best example. When you have Gary Harris, Will Barton, Jamal Murray, Malik Beasley. Mm-hmm. I mean, tr- sort that out and see how you're gonna how you're gonna fit guys in, and you want to look at pretty much all of those guys. I t- it's very difficult. And they don't. I don't believe. I think they're one of the like the Bucks that were in the few teams that just don't have a D League team. So a guy like Malik Beasley can't really, if he doesn't play, he's gonna be on the bench. You know, not squandering, but they want to see him. I'm assuming. So, yeah. I I have a funny feeling about Malik Beasley. I have a good feeling about him. I think he could bet in quicker than people expect. Um, I know. Was it that the biggest concern about him was injury, really? It was he was, he was his, young. His but... shooting season, it was, he was the one who, up until, say, two weeks before the end of the college season, was on for this historic shooting season that only, I think, Kyrie had matched before. Uh, he had crazy shooting numbers, then he just sort of dropped off in percentages towards the end. I like him a lot. I I honestly, I, I've never been that high on Jamal Murray, so maybe this plays a factor in it, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's like neck and neck with Murray for, or for minutes. I think that could be, could be a battle at times between the two of them. I think they might... Remember, Jameer Nelson is their other point guard outside of Moutier. I think they would probably like Murray to be able to play point, but we discussed this pre-draft when there was a lot of buzz around Murray from a book's point of view. I don't know if he's able to do that, even more so in the NBA. Uh, I would say the biggest thing about that is defensively. Yeah. I think maybe they could get away with it in bursts if he was paired with Gary Harris, maybe. Because mm-hmm. Gary Harris could guard the point guard. I mean, Gary Harris is a little undersized. I don't know. It's tricky. They've, they, I just, uh, they have so many questions, and they're good questions. But just like that, I think it will take time to figure them out. And in experimenting, they're going to lose some games. I think that's fine. They shouldn't be in a hurry because, to be honest, I don't really, I don't really think any of their more experienced pieces matter. If none of those guys were on the roster one, two years from now, I don't think that hurts them in the slightest. They're probably better for it. So mm-hmm. I don't think they need to be in a hurry. Figure it out. Do it the right way. I think they've got a really good coach. They'll be they'll be good. They'll be fun to watch. I think they'll just pick up some losses just by means of learning and figuring things out, though. Where do we need to go next? Um, hmm. Outside of that, there isn't really too many big ones. I maybe do Minnesota. Go, let's go Thunder first, because I think we both okay. have Thunder in ninth place. Um, I had them at forty-one wins. You might have had forty, was it? Or I am thirty-nine. Thirty-nine. Okay, 
we're on the same page on this, but a lot of other people aren't. And my reasoning for this is pretty simple. It's as good as Russell Westbrook is. I don't like the idea of him being the guy in a team. And when your second option should probably be Victor Oladipo, Russell Westbrook being your first option makes it even worse because I don't know if he's going to get the ball. And when he does get the ball, he's probably going to want to keep it because Westbrook won't give it to him the rest of the time. I don't know. I There's a... Like Steven Adams has already had injury niggles. I feel if he had any significant time out of Steven Adams missed 10 games in a stretch during the season, they could capitulate. I think it's tough. And I, I think it gets, it gets sort of glossed over because they did come good in the playoffs. They weren't the most convincing team throughout the entirety of last year though. No. With Kevin Durant. So and Russell Westbrook. And Sergi Baca for most of it too. Yeah. For all of it. What am I saying? So it's a very different look. And I they're not a team I really want to watch at all this year. As much as say I love Stephen Adams. I don't find Russell Westbrook hero ball fun. That's not that's not fun to me. I know that's like sacrilegious to a lot of people, but I'll enjoy the highlights like everyone else, but I don't actually need to watch 48 minutes of that. I think that's what bothers me the most about all this um, MVP talk, outside of the fact that even at their best, I just don't see them. I don't see how good he could be to warrant being an MVP. I mean, I don't think you have to be, you have to win more than a certain amount of games. You have to be on a really good team. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. I think the, the closest we may have saw that was maybe harder than a couple of years ago, but even then he, I, I just don't, I don't know. It just frustrates me that people like say all these things like, well, we all we know about team expectations, all this stuff, and they, I keep seeing Westbrook being picked as MVP. And I just don't think it's going to happen. Maybe he does average a triple double. Maybe he comes close. That's I still certainly don't think possible. That gets an MVP though. It doesn't get him exactly. It doesn't give him MVP. I think it matters if he does that, and they don't make the playoffs. Then it's a good season for him. It's not a good season for anybody. If but LeBron, ultimately... if LeBron averages twenty five. Six and five, and the Cavs win the East easy, and they perform well regular season against the Warriors or other big teams. Or flip that around, and if it's Durant or Curry, they're more valuable players because they're doing that for teams who could win it all, and they're doing that in teams who also have good teammates. I mean, mm-hmm. this is like this thing goes back to the Michael Carter Williams in Philly sort of rookie of the year. Yes. Yeah can't just say, oh, wow, look at this guy's stats. It's not, you can't look at it in a vacuum. Like, there has to be, okay, well, who is he playing? What is he really contributing to his team? Yeah, exactly. That can only, that only really works with uh, rookie of the year, just counting stats. It's not, no one really thinks that a team is successful with that. It's totally different with the MVP. And the only reason for that is because if you've got a top 10 rookie, you were bad the year before. I think so. You're expected to be bad again. If you've got the most valuable player in the league, 
just sort of logically, you should be pretty good. You've got the most valuable player in the league. Mm-hmm. So they're different things. I agree. I think the Russell Westbrook MVP is crazy. And I just think, too, there's a couple of things that kind of one more recently and one since, obviously, the Durant leaving and what they did after that and all that stuff. Actually, this is before Durant leaving. I think Oladipo and Westbrook are a terrible backcourt. I think they're going to miss Deion Waiters in that regard. I know Deion Waiters is kind of a punchline, a joke, but I see him making – I see him becoming a – I actually wrote about this when I was a little bit – a couple of months ago, but his, like, catch and shoot – he did shoot very well, but I want to say his catch and shoot numbers are almost like 40%. And Victor Oladipo, he's definitely more talented, and obviously this kind of comes into what we talked about with, you know, like the MCW style trade. Victor Oladipo is probably the most talent, more talented of the two, but in terms of trying to fit next to each other, I think that's going to be pretty. I don't see that working out really well unless if it's injury related. Um, I think backup point guard is even though Russell Westbrook will probably play like forty minutes a game, um, unless if he gets hurt, their backup point guard uh, is terrible. It's Ronnie Price and a hurt Cameron Payne who was rumored to be traded uh, or was rumored to be part of trade negotiations with the Kings. Uh, I don't think, I think before that, if he got hurt, I think that kind of speaks on how they feel about him. Who was kind of, he was kind of like a prospect when he came out last year that people say like, Oh, the Thunder got a steal. And the fact that they were dangling him in trades, trade talks, I think that kind of says something um, to me at least. Uh, And the other thing too, a name that they have kind of been associated with that I think is just, it's terrible if they go that route, uh, Rudy Gay. The fact that they, they are thinking about these trades or trying to make a move. Have or, you seen their tree and four rotation, though? It's it, pretty grim. It is grim. I mean, uh, Robertson will probably play the tree. That's the only... He kind of has to by default. Right? Otherwise, they've got like Kyle Singler and Josh Eustace. And uh, what's his name? Alex Abrinas, who's a rookie. At uh, the four, you've got Ursa, Nick Carlson. Sabonis, who I think is starting. Did, right did they cut Mitch McGarry? Did that actually? I don't know. If they, I don't think they cut Mitch McGarry. Well, they wanted to, so that's a, that's a weird well, they could, setup. They could cut him by the time people hear this. They, they, might even, they, have... they might even be looking to trade, and that could be. They might be seeing if there's a team still crazy enough to just ignore everything that's happened in the last <laughs> since he was in since college. Since he entered the NBA, not even since his final year in college was really when things started to go for him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't. I really don't like it. I mean, I think their best route is they should start Cantor and Stephen Adams. But they can't because their bench is literally nothing if Cantor started. Yeah, it's it's grim. It really is. It's 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 a weird roster, and I know they said before Durant leaving that the Serge Ibaka trade um, was made regardless if he stayed or not, but. It's such a weird return, and I know I know he, Serge Ibaka had a down year last year, but I still think they're going to miss him. I think they underestimated just how important Ibaka was to everything they've done. 
Especially defensively. Defensively. Or maybe they've just jumped and said, you know what, Stephen Adams is so much better than we thought. We don't need that. And I think that's a hasty decision if they've gone that route. Yeah. I think we're, we're probably both giving them credit, like in terms of we're giving them wins for Westbrook or wins for maybe Stephen Adams. And still, they, they won't get to the playoffs for me. Mm hmm. Who's next? Timberwolves, did you say? Yeah, you have them making the playoffs, I believe. I have them at 42. What did you have them at? I had them at 40. Okay, so we're close enough already. Splitting hairs here. What's... Uh, I mean, I just think... The difference to them and the Nuggets is more of their key guys have a year or two years under their belt. Guys like, obviously, Towns, Wiggins, even Zach Levine. And I know Sam Mitchell did it. Okay, he did a good job, and it was difficult circumstances where everything happened with Flip. They weren't well coached, though, and I just... Yeah. I think Thibodeau coming in there, that could be an entirely different kind of beast. And that's without even... When I say that, I don't really even consider what's probably an inevitable jump forward from Towns. It's just, if you took last year's team and you, you let Tom Thibodeau coach them, and then you add, like, Chris Dunn into the mix, I I think that's that's a playoff team. The, the back end of the West is weak. Mm-hmm. And I think they are good enough to get in through that. I think my obviously I that's I have no forty wins. That's an eleven win jump from last year. <clears throat> I think my biggest problem uh, with the again kind of like similar to like a Westbrook MVP thought. The problem that I have with kind of people projecting even more than a playoff spot. Maybe I know some. People thought like 50 wins, something close to that. I think that's just crazy. <laughs> um, I don't know how much did they get better. Obviously, internally, they're going to get better with Towns, Wiggins, uh, Levine, even kind of ancillary guys. Like, obviously, we like Gorgi Dang. Shabazz Muhammad's on this team, and maybe we, we love Gorgi Dang. We don't like that. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Shabazz Muhammad's on this team, and he kind of flirts with being a solid rotation player to a guy that kind of gets DMPs. He'd seem like um, a guy. He'd seem like a Tony Snell guy to Tibbs, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? He could become that sort of. Tibbs likes that type of player. He fits the bill for maybe he could turn him into something. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, I'm trying to think of who else. I'm I mean, their other their other signings are weird. It's you know, well, that, that's what I was getting to. Like, Cole Aldridge is not a bad backup signing, and obviously, with Garnett gone, they don't um, need centers though. <laughs> they don't. I mean, Peck is Peck is injured indefinitely. That's a disaster for them. Uh, but then they signed Jordan Hill. 
who have all Jordan Hills. I've always sort of liked him as as an energy big, the back of your rotation, energy big. He can come in, grab some rebounds, score some quick points. That's fine. Then you've got Cole Aldrich. You're assuming Gorgie Jang starts ahead of him. Really, Towns, there probably should be some lineups where he plays a little bit of center. I don't know. Um, Backcourt, I mean, there's the talk of the Tyus Jones trade. And that's because they brought John Lucas the third in, which I mean, like, that's a Tibbs favor from like six years ago. That's a really weird one for me. It's weird. Uh, and the talk of, I know Woj had a report in the middle of last week about the whole Rubio Dunn situation where I want to say they were thinking 20 games in or somewhere around that range. That's when they thought or were planning to have Dunn be inserted in the starting lineup. I think Tibbs is obviously a big upgrade over Sam Mitchell. Um, you know, I just sort of praised Sam Mitchell before. I was just saying the disparity of him in, between Byron Scott was totally different. Um, One was a coach and the other wasn't, was basically what you were saying. Yeah, basically. Um, and I just don't think they have, even though Towns would be greater, Wiggins might be the same, and that's fine for them now. Uh, Zach Levine might emerge. I just don't think, as far as players on the court go, I don't really love this roster. I think they have some some holes to work out. I think three-point shooting is going to be a problem. Um, a little bit books-esque from last year when you're looking in terms of where's the spacing going to come from. Like They need Towns to knock down shots. Then he Wiggins to knock down shots, which you know, he doesn't always do consistently. Um, Levine, I don't even know if Levine could do it. That was a big thing with Levine coming out of college, even. Uh, Brandon Rush was a good addition for them. I think he could be really important. He might be their best one, like addition, really. If, if it was me, though, I'd be starting Brandon Rush to two and have Levine as your sixth man. But that would be me. I'm not, once again, Levine is another guy who I'm not super high on. Um, the highlights are great, but in terms of actually knuckling down and playing good basketball on both ends, I just don't quite see it. Mm-hmm. Um, Shabazz, I guess, another guy who could make trees. They might need to make trees. That's that's a tricky area for them. This team just could be so good defensively, though. That yeah, <laughs> you could just kill teams, grind out like. 78-74 wins. That's sort of where I see them getting their wins from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, obviously, I think, like I said before, the, if they do get in the playoffs, Towns and Wiggins or how, you know, the young, youngsters um, develop as people are going to look at, but obviously Thibodeau is the biggest addition. But I just worry, how much does that do for you, really, from, at least from a point where you're a, you have a solid future type of team, how much does that coach get you to, you know, level one jump kind of thing? I don't know. Let's go to the Clippers, because you're a lot higher on the Clippers now. Should I defend? 
Yeah, I mean, what There's... I don't even want to say what do you like about the Clippers because I mean, that's obvious. I get that. What is it that convinces you they can continue to play at that sort of level slash this year might even be different? I would say this probably is that breaking news. I just think having Blake Griffin helps them. And even though I want to say, what were they, 53 and 29 last year? Sounds about right. Um, and obviously that was without Griffin for two-thirds of the season. I feel like they, they – I, I don't know. I, I feel like they have um, – outside of Golden State, they have the most – Primed and proven team right away. Where I think I feel like di- there's a big difference between like team like the Spurs that have new additions uh, to work out how to fit everything together. Even Utah, especially now with Hayward out, I think they have still a little bit of work to go through. I just think the Clippers are going to find a way to win. What do they have? 57 wins. I think I don't know. Obviously, a lot of that is asking for no injuries to Griffin or uh, probably more importantly, Chris Paul. But I think – I don't know. I just think they have something – this this is their last year to prove something. And if they don't, obviously, that begs questions about how would they go from here. Maybe that trade deadline talk again, but it's more serious, all this stuff. I don't know. But I just think ultimately having Blake Griffin and some of their – their bench guys, I think, actually might help them more than when we were talking about this last year. Guys like Josh Smith and Lance Stevenson didn't really work out for them, to say the least. But having, like, you know, Brandon Bass as a solid – I know that sounds crazy, but 10-minute, 15-minute night type guy who could play at – He needs, he needs to be more, though. He's, he's like their best bench player. This is, this is what scares me. I, I hate this team. If I was Doc Rivers, I, I'd have broken this team up by now. I – absolutely despise i think the roster is not good it's obviously on the surface i don't want to say starting five is good four of the starting five is really great it's elite Mm -hmm. you just need to manage your cap better you can't have all of your money going into these guys and then fill it in the way they have right they haven't had picks for the most part so they literally have just old, washed-up, past their prime guys. Bass, even Mo Spates, yeah. Paul Pierce, Jamal Crawford. I mean, that contract they just gave Jamal Crawford, do they ever want to win? Alan Anderson, Ray Felton. Alan Anderson, I think, actually... Alan no Anderson missed, like, all of last season, though. Yes, but you I just can't, you can't get healthy anymore. If he stays healthy, he could be good. I don't know if he can get healthy to stay healthy. I I hate this team. And I think they're going to get, like, all of their guys. Not DeAndre, really, but, like, Griffin and Paul are both. They're prone to at least niggling injuries throughout the season. They're not going to get through a season where both of those guys play, like, over 75 games and even to be honest if they missed if both of them missed seven games i'd be worried about what would happen in that time 
I, I just... The wheels are going to completely fall off Jamal Crawford sooner or later. I think it's going to yeah. happen now. It's crazy it hasn't until now. He's a freak of nature. But giving him that deal was ridiculous. Paul Pierce wants, wants a job at ESPN. He basically didn't get the offer he wanted. So he's going to play another year. That's what I could see in that. I just... I can't... Raymond Felton, come on. And if it's not Raymond Felton, it's Austin Rivers. Just, they, there's talk that he might be at, playing at small forward. Uh, Austin Rivers. There was talk about it's, that. It's insane. I'm, I, I, I basically gave this team wins not to seem just too controversial. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this team finishes with mid forties wins. Mm. Like I get, I gave them fifty, but if they finish the forty five wins. I'd sort of shrug my shoulders and say, yeah, well, they should be worse. They should have got rid of some of those guys, get picks, build something more sustainable. Chris Paul is leaving next summer. You think he... Uh... You know, there's, if he, he's got to want to win. The guy, like, he, he might be the biggest winner or the most driven guy in the entire league. And he's Definitely. never even got to a conference finals. Yeah. He certainly is now. After and he looked at a summer um, this year. They had some cap space. And they re-sign Austin Rivers. And they give Jamal Crawford a three-year contract. Why would you stay there? He can go, like... He could probably go to the Cavs next year. Or, I don't know, go to the Spurs. Imagine how much fun Chris Paul will be on the Spurs. Go do that, Chris Paul. Because this team is... Wow, horrible. You take your so last time we made fun of the, the Lakers and now we are you're aiming your sights at the Clippers. Well obviously a lot of it is warranted. I mean the Clippers no, the Clippers are a good team. Yeah. But you don't even have to peel back the layer that much <laughs> to see that it's all crumbling beneath the surface. That onion smells without even peeling it. They're doing a really good job of like masking just how bad that team is. Yeah. I'd freak out if I, if I covered the Clippers. I freak out of a book stepped. I'd I'd really. I'm not a fan of old guys. A roster packed full of old guys and guys who really. I mean. I think Brandon Bass is the only one of those older guys who may not be just completely washed up. Maybe most Bates. The other positions, like, Paul, they're going to start Luke Richard and Bam Mute. Hey, forward back, man. Yeah, years ago, and the books oh. moved on. They got a they got to start him. for a team that you have penciled in for 57 wins. Come on now. Um, what did you do to Jazz at? 49. Okay, yeah. I'm getting over it. I have a 52. I guess that's... There's not even that much disagreement there. That's I think the Clippers aren't going to be as good. You're giving me the extra wins to the Clippers. That's all sort of much of a much. So you think, that, you think they'll be pretty... Not even pretty solid. You think they're going to be good. They're going to be in the 50-win range. We both agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, my biggest worry about them is offensively. I don't know. They have certain pieces. I think Joe Johnson for them, uh, if they play him like the four, like Miami did, 
I think that helps them a lot. That helps Joe Johnson a lot. Obviously, Dorchelle obviously is a big upgrade over Trey Burke, Raul Neto, who's actually not that bad. Of, he's not a bad backup guy, but a starting guy, that's totally different. Thing. You didn't even say Sheldon Mack there. How dare you? Well, I'm talking about early on. Sheldon Mack was a later addition. He's a quality player. I wrote about him uh, once upon a time. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the big thing, uh, the big thing for them, I feel, and I, I actually think he'll be able to do it. But with the Hayward injury, they need Rodney Hood to score early on. They need him to sort of carry on his good play from last season and take it a little bit further. And I think with better players around them, which you will have, or more experienced players to go like George Hill possibly Joe Johnson and Burst. I think he'd be able to do that. But I think that's important for them early on. If they start well, everything considered, the sky's the limit. Yeah. And they're, they're in that same vein of how I feel about Dever, obviously, but probably more proven. Uh, they just have depth. They lose a guy, Gordon Hayward, obviously – like right now, Rodney Hood, he's obviously not more as experienced as him, but he still plays within that uh, role that Hayward plays at. Um, again, just depth, having depth is big for teams throughout the regular season. Well, obviously, <laughs> all year round, but it just helps so much to know that, say, if a guy, you know, injuries or they are back-to-back so they don't want to sit them or something like that having a guy that can step up and there isn't that huge gaping difference in you know play or whatever that just it's huge it cannot be understated eastern conference let's hear them all right again from the bottom to the top the Eastern Conference. Coming in last, the Philadelphia 76ers with 19 wins. Coming in 14th, the Brooklyn Nets with 21 wins. Coming in 13th, the Miami Heat with 30 wins. Coming in 12th, the Chicago Bulls with 34 wins. Coming in 11th, the New York Knicks with 35 wins. <clears throat> uh, this one pains me to say this, but coming in 10th, your Milwaukee Bucks with 36 wins. Do that, man. Come, <laughs> coming in 9th, the Charlotte Hornets with 39 wins. Coming in eighth, the Orlando Magic with 42 wins. Coming in seventh, the Atlanta Hawks with 43 wins. Coming in sixth, the Washington Wizards with 44 wins. (laughs) Coming in fifth, the Detroit Pistons with 45 wins. Coming in fourth, the Indiana Pacers with 46 wins. Coming in third, 
the Toronto Raptors with 48 wins. Coming in second, the Boston Celtics with 53 wins. And lastly, firstly, even first, oh yeah, firstly, not lastly, coming in firstly, the Cleveland Cavaliers with 58 wins. Okay, main difference of mine is I have it much more congested. I mean, you can throw, you could throw a blanket over teams. 12 to true three for me in the east in last place 18 wins the brooklyn nets in 14th with 24 wins the philadelphia 76ers 13th place with 30 wins the miami heat in 12th place with 37 wins the orlando magic in 11th with 38 wins the new york knicks now we get into my tie which i don't really know who i have where i'll have to maybe figure that out in a second but tied what what number am i on now 10th okay so tied 10th true to eight all on 40 wins the milwaukee bucks the chicago bulls and the charlotte hornets in seventh with 41 wins i have the washington wizards Sixth with 43 wins, the Detroit Pistons. In fifth with 45 wins, the Atlanta Hawks. Sorry, I skipped one. Fifth with 44 wins, the Indiana Pacers. So that puts the Hawks four to 45 wins. Third place. 46 wins, the Toronto Raptors, Boston in second with 52, Cleveland first in the East, 60 wins. Where do we want to start? I mean, I feel like we, we disagree on Philadelphia, Brooklyn, but I mean, whatever. Yeah. In a quick summary, I think. The Nets will play good basketball, but just don't have the players this year. They'll have the start of something good, but it's a long road before it actually becomes something that's good, maybe even something that's average. One little tip I just want to throw in there. Uh, these are the names. There might be a couple more, but these are the names of the primary starting point guards for the Nets last year. Shane Larkin, Donald Salone, and Jared Jack. All three are out of the league right now. So, Jared Jack's going to find his way back in. He's only out of the league because he got injured again. 
Did he get injured again? Yeah, that, that's what the Hawks got him. Because well, it's not even he had a setback, so he's not going to be ready for another while yet. So, I mean, that's uh, he'll be back, Jared Jack. Yeah, but I, I know what you're saying as opposed to Jeremy Lin, who is a real point guard who noted Jeremy Lin fanatic Andrew Snyder informed me yesterday. Jeremy Lin has been torching his way through preseason. I can't remember the exact numbers, but they were very, very high from the field, from three-point range, points per game. Um, I was shocked, but there you go. Where's where's our first meaningful disagreement? Actually, I know where it is. It's Orlando, isn't it? Uh, It might be. Well... I think he has Chicago higher, too. But well, Orlando, I'm Orlando 37. Yes. So on my list, that's the first team we have a big disagreement on. Go on, you, you sell me on Orlando first. Um. Well, first of all, Frank Vogel. Uh, I think he's a great coach. I misunderestimated the Pacers last year, so this may be a residual effect. Of that mis I misestimated underestimated underestimated you were there to begin with that miss was just... but I no I also said misunderestimation is that a word no no it's not uh, it should be. <laughs> um sorry I don't look like an idiot uh anyway uh, Frank Vogel is a big upgrade over Scott Skiles and we don't have to go with my feelings of old Scott um. I think Serge Ibaka is actually a good upgrade for them, even though it does just move over Aaron Gordon to the three. Oh, God. And that's the whole Paul George thing. I know that's gained a lot of it, – it, that one's tough Did, to do. Was that said, was it? Yes, I want to say it was Zach Lowe. Oh, I remember, that. I remember that piece, yeah. And he, he said something about Paul George. He could play something – Similar to him uh, as a small forward. Ridiculed and sued, obviously. Uh, He's like Paul George, except he can't really shoot or pass. Like Paul George? Yeah. Or, or defend like Paul George. Yeah, it's... He's, or do, do anything like Paul George. He's a long way from, uh, from doing that, any of those things. Um... I think I know it's a weird roster, and obviously I don't agree with every bit of it. Uh, starting point guards pretty grim, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's a change at some point, whether they trade for someone or they even trade Alfred Payton. Who knows? Um, but I think resigning Evan Fournier is big for them. I think that was actually to go with them over Oladipo. I think that really helps them. Uh, and obviously is much more uh, necessary for them to, if they want to be a productive offense, he has to be even better, you know, shooting the ball, especially for outside, you know, three-point line, all that stuff. I think Bismarck Biambo, I know that was a huge contract, and uh, it's obviously a big bet on someone that really, who was a fine backup who filled in for starters minutes over the season in got really good over the playoffs. I think that's still a good signing for them. And 
if Nick if Vucevic is having a tough game or something like that, having a guy come in right away that could make an impact on in, in different areas, mostly defense. Um, I think that's big for them. Um, again, I just think this team, most of the team was what? They were a 34 win team, 35 win team. I think getting rid of some players like Oladipo, uh, obviously Tobias Harris left, or they traded him mid-season. I just think they have – ultimately, I think they might not be – they're probably not going to be a, a top 10 or above average offense. But defensively, I think it could really work for them. And obviously, Frank Vogel is a proven uh, coach on that end. I just think that they find ways to get, make that work. You, you can't tell me this team wouldn't be better with Oladipo and Tobias Harris. That's the biggest thing it starts for me at straight away is – we we don't wouldn't even have to have this stupid Aaron Gordon playing the tree thing. They just don't trade Tobias Harris for nothing. Um, Oladipo for me, as much as I don't like him now, he's with the Thunder because I feel him and Westbrook are going to get into this war of who has the ball and who gets to do stuff. Oladipo was the Magic's best young player for me. I, I just find it so weird all of it. Ibaka, that's great, but he's a free agent next summer, I think. Um, mm-hmm. This is... I, Aaron Gordon at the tree is one of the most mind-boggling things. I agree with you. I, Frank Vogel is a great coach, one of the best coaches in the league. Makes me want to put this team a lot higher. I see big friction coming at the center spot. I have a feeling that Vogel is going to lean... Ibaka Biombo, and if you've read any of Nikola Vucevic's quotes on where he feels he is, that is not going to go down well, and he's going to let people know about it. Um, that's going to be a problem. Jeff Green, why? I don't. I just don't understand. I mean, play Jeff Green at the three and have Aaron Gordon back up at the four. It makes more sense. I. Mm-hmm. This is a weird thing with Gordon for me. It just feels like. They believe he's so talented that they need to sort of sandwich him into a spot. I don't know if he's actually earned a starter's spot yet, and it would nearly make more sense just to say, well, you know what, maybe maybe we don't play him at the tree. Like, what if they just kept all the depot, play Fournier at the tree? I, I just don't. They're just trying to squeeze him in just to play him. And that's not yeah. going to be best for him or them, in in my mind. I just don't like this team. I love the idea of Ibaka Biombo. That's great. Evan Fournier, I quite like. I wish his own you would get minutes, but there's just too many weird things going on. It's still Jody Meeks and CJ Wilcox backing up Fournier, and then you've got like C.J. Watson and D.J. Augustin backing up Alfred Payton. They signed uh, or they've kept what's his name? Arins Anawaku, Chinanu's brother. Yeah. I mean, if uh, just, it's weird. The whole thing's weird. Steven Zimmerman Jr. is even, he's an interesting uh, center. He's not going to see any time. <laughs> no, he's probably going to go to D-League right away. I would assume. 
I think for, the... for any team getting Ibaka, Ibaka is fascinating, the things you can do with him, with the way the NBA has trended, because he can shoot mid-range jump shots, he can sort of stretch out to the tree, and he is also this elite, long rim protector. If I was making a trade for Serge Ibaka, I'd want to be a team where I had great shooting options, where I could go small ball and play him at center in spells. Mm-hmm. They literally are going to have zero opportunity to do that because they have to find minutes for Vucevic and Biombo. Yeah, it's it's too weird for me. I love Vogel. He will slowly sort of chisel something good out of this by next year. They will make more trades. That hasn't necessarily been. I don't. Maybe that's not a good thing with the way their trades have been of late. But they will put a different shape on this. I, I guarantee you that Vogel's influence will start to shine true and they will become very good considering the amount of great young talent and the picks they've had in everything in recent years. This is how not to do it. I mean, this is, this is nearly worse than picking the wrong guys because they've picked a lot of good players and then they've still found a way to make a mess of it from there. Yeah. It's that's the downside of what they're doing. Obviously they're still a team that's, they're trying to win, and they're they have so many moving parts. Not just the roster, obviously switching coaches too. It's it can all blow up in their face, and they're you know doing more panic moves and for guys that you know aren't necessarily the guys that they would have been targeting uh, you know a couple years ago. Yeah, you know I mean, yeah, I just. I don't see a way for it to work. I think the teams we all laugh at that won't be as good as they want to be, the the Knicks, the Bulls, the teams we'll get to in a minute, I just think they're still going to find a way to get wins. Like I can see I, I don't like the Bulls roster, and we'll probably move on to this in a second, but I have the Bulls of 40 wins because, sure, I can see games where Dwayne Wade wins you a game, Jimmy Butler wins you a game, Rashawn Rondo even wins you a game. Like Rondo can just go out and have insane triple-double games. And there is just one ball to go around. And overall, that's going to be something that stops them from being really good. But they're a team that I just see a way where they can get wins. When I look at the Magic, I'm like, well, who's going to get wins? And I think it wasn't that Zach Lowe piece in the Magic where Vogel made a comment like, well, we might have to win games. I don't know. He's... He gave a crazy low score, like 60-58. That might just have to be what it is. And, you know, I think he's right. It's really going to have to be like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's for me where we talked about the Timberwolves. And I mentioned, well, they might just have to lock in and focus on D to get through. I think they have better options to do that. They've got – I the coaches are similar. Tibbs is maybe better defensively anyway maybe Vogel's a little bit more well-rounded I don't know that's close two great coaches but I think the Timberwolves are a great example of a team sort of in a similar spot except they have so much more on offense Mm -hmm. and that scares me with the magic I just don't see where they're going to score that's true who's next it might be the Bulls what did you have the Bulls at? 
I had him at 34 wins. What do you have the Knicks at? 35. Okay, I was going to say you had them better, but not really. Um, yeah, yeah, as I said, I just sort of see ways they're going to get wins. Even MCW, look, we know this. There could be like two games in the season where it sort of clicks for him and he pushes you a long way towards a win in the zone. I feel like they've got a roster packed with guys like that. Overall, it's not going to mesh well enough that from night to night, you're going to be going, oh, the Bulls are a really good team. I do think they could just get close enough. Don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I think they could get close. The other thing on this, I must say, I, I'm not convinced on Fred Hoiberg as an NBA coach. There's really, there hasn't been one good sign yet in that. Um, I think so, that's also why I don't think they'll too good. I don't think, I think he's going to be overmatched. Um, not just managing lineups and all that stuff, but I think personally, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I we might have talked about this, I'm forgetting, but I think we probably talked about this obviously last week with the news of the trade. But I just think having a trio like Dwayne Wade, Rajan Rondo, Jimmy Butler, all three guys who they're in different stages of their career. They've all had success. Uh, obviously, Rondo and Wade had the greater success than Butler, really. But all are very not entitled players, but just they are driven. Obviously, they've had enough success to kind of market their input on the team, obviously. And say if they have a three-game losing streak, four-game losing streak, can you know, locker room sours and all that stuff, things that we don't see. Obviously, there's projecting into stuff that we have no idea could happen. It comes out way after the fact. But the Bulls were a, what, 42-win team last year? And their roster was more coherent uh, last year, even given, you know, Butler's injury problems, Derrick Rose, you know, trying to come back to a certain degree. Joe Kim Noah was <laughs> terrible before he got hurt. All this stuff. There is still something there as far as the roster is concerned that I could feel like, oh, they have something there. And now with all these problems with the roster and on top of do we even know if Fred Hoiberg is a coach or not, I just think they have – outside of the Kings or a team – I was about to say something controversial, but maybe not. I actually know I will say maybe even the Warriors. Let's throw them in there. Obviously, if you read the Dream on Green piece by uh, Ethan Strauss of ESPN.com, I just think like these guys are those types of teams where they if something goes against them or they hit a you know a few bumps on the road. Maybe it's not just losses or anything like that. I think they have the biggest variable to, to spiral out of control and throw the Knicks for Combustible that situations, really, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I see it, but I just... I think a big thing comparing last year's Bulls to this year's Bulls, their fit is horrendous in what they've done this year. I mean, it makes no sense. They have upgraded a lot of the players, though. 
I mean, the, where Noah's at in his career in terms of injury and everything, Robin Lopez is a great guy. And I would say that yes. I think Robin, Robin Lopez is going to have a great season amidst all sorts of madness going on behind him. Um, maybe I'm just still really high in Dwayne Wade, but there's something about the playoffs with him last year in particular. I felt he showed a lot, and I just... And when's the last time Dwayne Wade was on a really bad team? Uh, two years ago. What was that record? They didn't make the playoffs. He didn't yeah, but what was, I mean, how bad was it? They were definitely mid-30s. I mean, they had Justice Win. They got Justice Winslow at 10. They're 37-45. Lucy Bosch, Bosch was a big reason for that, but still. But, like, what, what you're predicting there, then, would be, be Wade's worst season since... Since 07-08, when they were 15-win team. That would be the only season he's had in his career worse than that. I mean, okay, the Heat have been great, so maybe that's fair. You look at his roster and say that. But, I mean, I just think Wade will do everything in his power to stop that. Jimmy Butler will. Uh, Rondo is the real Rondo's the real variable in this. Butler and Wade aren't a great fit together, but I think their personalities can match well enough that they could figure it out. It really just depends on what Rondo does and what. I mean, the thing with him, I guess, is that you can't just say, well, we'll give Jimmy the ball on this player, we'll give Dwayne the ball on this play, because if you're not giving Rondo the ball, what's the point of him being there? I, I, this is probably way too far and too, too not high takey because it's not really a hot take. But I wouldn't be surprised if things do go badly and Rondo just kind of you know, alienates or isolates himself with the team. I wouldn't be surprised if they buy him out. It's next year's what it's partial guarantee. Well, they, I, 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 bet I they don't win. know if I actually said that last week, but that was something I, I know I said all fair if not to you to tie. I do have a feeling that MCW will finish the season as a starter for them. He might be. Because if, if, regardless, I mean I don't think anyone's convinced it's going to work out so well that they're going to be like, we need to bring Rondo back again and go from there. So they're going to be looking and saying, well, is Michael Carter Williams the guy we want longer term? So I see that happening. You know, if that happens sooner rather than later, that could be good for them. I know it's, I know the side where it's not good. I I don't see this being a playoff team still. Mm. I have them in that 10 to 8 tie. Which I'm not quite sure on where I ha- who I have where, but I don't have them making the playoffs. It's funny, nearly by default, in that tie, I'd almost be putting the books as my pick of the tree because I just don't like the Hornets at all. But I don't. I just don't. I don't think they get there, but I think they'll be closer than a lot of people are giving them credit for, just by. Just by nature of what those guys are like and what those guys are like in a personality sense, not in the personality sense where they're going to sort of scrap with each other and fight tooth and nail throughout the season. Just in terms of being winners, 
I feel it's a different kind of bad fit than bringing Greg Monroe in to play with Michael Carter Williams, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's true. Because it's uh, the books and bulls are they're comparable, like last year's books and this year's bulls, just in terms of what the team looks like, no shooting, whatever. But in Chicago's case, as you mentioned, Rondo and Wade, both champions. And I mean, when they were on good teams, they were driving forces for really good teams. Mm-hmm. And they are some of the best competitors in the league. Maybe they'll surprise people and the sacrifices they'll make to win because I think Wade in particular, Wade's really not used to losing. It would kill Wade to go home and that team to be terrible. I, I just think they're going to be okay. Don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but I think they'll just be outside of it. That's very possible. Who's our next team? Um, I feel like we talked about the Knicks before, so they're kind of like, and they're in the same boat, really. Yeah, we've been, been talking about the Bulls, we've basically talked about the Knicks. Oh, the Knicks. Um, well, we can always revisit Charlotte. You know, I mean, you, you've backed down a lot. I think we're cool on Charlotte. <laughs> I think I, I think I've, I think I made my point last time. Um... Uh, Maybe Detroit now? I don't before yeah, Detroit, we were really Detroit high. Detroit was one I've, I've fallen off on a big way. Yeah. And it's the Reggie Jackson injury. That team is not going to start the season as they would have. And uh, they're going to be making up ground. If they get a lucky break with seeding. Like, say, for example, if they... I have them a 43. I think it was my seventh seed. Sounds right. If they ended up seventh seed playing Boston at the two, they could beat Boston at the two, but the time the playoffs come around if everyone was healthy, like I, I think they'll be right there. They'll be a really good team, but their overall record is gonna take a big hit from it's only two months without Reggie Jackson, right? Six to eight weeks, and obviously adding residual effects of coming back. Yeah, and then he's happy. Yeah, he's not gonna be the top of his game coming back. So then you've got like Ish Smith can't shoot. KCP, I really like him as a player, but his shooting is inconsistent. Um, Tobias Harris is somewhere. Yeah, then you've got Marcus Morris or Stanley Johnson, and then you've got Drummond. I don't know. There's there's things to work out there. Like Reggie Jackson is a really key part of this. Um, I love their starting five. Everyone healthy. I think it meshes well together. It can be really strong, really effective. That is a big blow. I, I think that is their biggest. Drummond is obviously their best player. It's... I think Reggie Jackson is the guy they can least afford to be without, though. Because he is... What drives everything? Yeah, well, he's the he's the remedy to some of the some of the flaws in their style as well. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, I think with Drummond out, they can play Boban or Aaron Baines and sort of run something similar. Possibly, not even possibly, probably with a little bit better offensive spacing. 
maybe not as dominant in the post, but better spacing. And they, you know, they might just get by for a while without Drummond, even though he's their best player. With Reggie Jackson, and I like Ish Smith a lot, that was a great, great pickup as a backup point guard. I just don't like the idea of him having to start with that group as a second unit guard. Great. I feel they're going to have a rough, rough start, but they will bounce back in a big way as the year goes on. I think there's the character and the players to bounce back too. Yeah. What did you have them at? I think you dropped them a little as well, not as much as me, maybe. Um, I have them fifth at 45 wins. And I know when we were talking about them, you know, doing way too early predictions and stuff, we were just talking about how, you know, if everything breaks right, they could be like a, the third seed. And had Reggie Jackson not gotten hurt, I think that would have held up. For, I, I think that they would have given them. I think I would have had them at, even at this point. Probably last time I did, and I still would have held close to it, I would have had my 50 wins. Yeah. I mean, even with, with the Reggie Jackson injury, I have them at 43, and my third seed is the Raptors at 46. So that's just like, a, that's literally three games that are in the balance. They just go your way, and even with the Reggie Jackson injury, you know what, they could still end up the third seed. So that's still in play. Uh, it's going to hurt them a lot. I, a big part of it, though, is I think, I'm sure for both of us, I have utmost faith in Stan Van Gundy to yep. keep it together and if it goes off the rails early, to get it back on track when needed. Well, yeah, I think people have to remember, too, this team was a 44-win team, and they had the guys like Steve Blake. Who plays in Australia now. He's down in Australia. Uh, congratulations, uh, behind the bucks or behind the buck pass contributor Tim Ray. <laughs> you can go out to see a game. <laughs> see Steve play, play. I don't know. I don't know why I'm laughing. I, 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 I think everyone else knows why you're laughing. That's I mean. Why? Because of the John McLaughlin thing. No, I just the, the the prospect of going out to see see Steve Blake play is ridiculous. Oh, I don't know. Steve Blake know, would have I'm to totally come to me. Know. For me to see Steve Blake play, that's, that's he does a knock on my door and say, "Do you want to see me play?" And I'm like, "Let me check my schedule." Yeah, I've got time. That's far too. Uh, I don't know. I can't. Johnny, I don't know. Johnny Mac has rubbed off on me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, they they had guys like Steve Blake, Aaron Baines, who's still on the team, but like Tal Anthony Tolliver. I know I'm missing another kind of key guy. But they had a, one of the worst benches last year, and they were a playoff team regardless. And the fact that they have like guys like Ishmith, who it's I like it, like you said, like I like him in a backup role, but starting role for start of the season, no less. That's gonna be tough. But even John Lure. Uh, John Lure, yeah. John Lure is a good pickup for them. Yeah, and... Allenson's uh, looked really good in preseason, too. Against the Bucks, did, Allenson looked, like, perfectly at home. He might be better than uh, Baines already and might be pushing Boban, too, so... See, I think I'm if high he, on he, Baines post-Olympics because Baines... I think Adadi showed that he can be a really great system center. 
I mean, in a, there's an alternate universe where Aaron Baines ended up with the books as part of some trade instead of Miles Plumley, and they've just given him a, a fifty-two million dollar contract. Oh God! Really? There Good is God. I mean, like, to tell me the differences. No, 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 no. There's no way. No. No, no, no. I think Aaron Baines. Miles Plumley can finish around the basket. I've seen enough Aaron Baines being crowded by guys at like the restricted area, and he throws up the ball and it just pings out the backboard. And uh, he's a terrible finisher. I don't know. I stand by it. That's uh, that, that's worse than you besmirching the name of Steve Blake. We all move on. Who's next? Um, do we want to go Hawks? I mean, I probably was higher on the Hawks than you. I have a 43. I had on a 45, not by much. I had them ahead of the Pacers, which was different to you. Um, I like the Pacers, there's some figuring out there. I it's weird. For me, as as a Hawks fan, even watching that Bucks Pacers game, the preseason finale, I literally didn't notice Jeff Teague was in that game. I forgot Jeff Teague was there. I think there's going to be a lot of that for them, just the way they play. That's why George Hill was kind of perfect for them. And I think they sort of need Teague to be involved. I don't know what Tad Young looks like, where all that goes. If they, if Al Jefferson gives them something meaningful still and be the sort of offensive force he used to be, that's a big thing. My one big reason for believing they could go far beyond my projections and it is in play is Miles Turner. Yeah. Good God. He's, He's a pr- seriously, he might be... I know that we talk about Towns and we already talked about Jokic, who he still has some to prove, even though he was really good last year. Miles Turner, I, he's he's going to be really good. <laughs> he's going to be very good. The Pacers need to be careful what they get themselves wrapped up in because a Paul George-Miles Turner tandem is going to be pretty good, closely good enough on its own. Mm-hmm. You don't want to make any sort of silly moves and overcomplicate things because on both ends, I mean, that's that's two guys who genuinely, I mean, Turner still, he's developing his offensive game, but technically all the tools are there. Like he, he shows them in spells. It's just putting it together and maybe being more active or more aggressive, but he sort of has it all. I don't know. I like Miles Turner quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um Hawks, without buying into preseason too much, Dwight Howard has looked fantastic in preseason. Um, he's so engaged. Yeah, so engaged, and that's that was always the one thing all along, um, which people talked about. Well, it depends on where he's at mentally. I had confidence, but I don't know, was I just fooling myself into confidence to make myself feel better at the time it all went down? 
But I did have confidence that this was going to be so different to any locker room situation he's been in for quite a while that it might help him. And, and not just because of Darvin Ham either. No. I, I know you would like to give all the credit to Darvin Ham for everything. Preseason coach Darvin Ham. Well, that, that was because Bud had to leave the game injured. But, but <laughs> I, I don't need the lamp, sorry. Bud had a rough week. He was injured going into that week. game, and then he got injured in the game. He literally, I know, I want to say it was a. Uh, it's snotty dripping, but he literally is Gil from The Simpsons, where he just has <laughs> this horrible string of luck. Um, I, I must tweet out. A... I must tweet out again, just for for people. I know I I don't know if I tweeted publicly at the time. I definitely sent it to you, but I think my favorite NBA picture of all time was from. Oh Hobbs my TV. god! <laughs> they did a whole series of them, the weirdest pictures you've ever seen. But there's one of Bud, which is like. I don't know. It's straight out of like a 1930s horror movie or something. <laughs> it is incredible. He looks like he's auditioning to play Dracula. It's really something special. Uh, Bud's great, though. I love Bud. Uh, there was, I was watching the replay of that game, and I didn't realize it, like that play was going to happen where Galloway hits him. But there was a point where they like instant replayed it, and he just gets clobbered. And they show after the instant replay they show <laughs> Mike Boonholes are like getting up and he just had this look at his face he's like oh, come on yeah like, he, he just he has, like it's bud face oh. i mean that's his face is incredible there's so many great yeah. things there's the bud wave i don't know if you're familiar oh, yeah. with the bud wave but it's there's pretty the, special the clip of him trying to drop a play and he just says like oh whatever let's let's just play <laughs> when no one's listening, it's great. <laughs> no one's listening. Uh, I we got sidetracked there just on Bud, but just we. I, I think Dwight Dwight's going to be really good, and I think him and Millsap together. That's a real sort of nice complimentary pair. The book, the books, not the books, the Hawks. Big questions really do lie in the backcourt. Um, Denny, Denny Schroeder. Yeah. I mean, not not even just that. Beyond that, Bay's more everything. It's like, can guys like Cephalosha stay healthy to contribute? Will Torian Prince or Bembry give anything which they need to? Now, yeah, Malcolm Delaney is the only real backup point guard on the roster, so they obviously have a lot of faith in him, but one injury to him or Schroeder, and then your point guard depth is pretty much gone. Um, So... Questions there, but I I like Howard enough, and I just I buy into Bud, and I'm, yeah, I, I, it's just that it's not even people listening to this will probably think I'm being biased. Trust me, I'm not because there's plenty of terror about what these new look Hawks will look like. These Dennis Schroeder, Dwight Howard Hawks, but I somehow think there's just going to be this feeling of continuity, even though there's no real continuity. And that's just going to come from what Wes Wilcox, what Bud have instilled in the team. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think uh, to kind of, I guess, use Pistons as a comparison, as weird as that sounds. Um, I think if... Dennis Schroeder kind of plays like a Reggie Jackson type role 
especially with a you know pick a roll partnership with Howard. Say if he's like seventy percent of Reggie Jackson, I know that's still pretty you know kind of an average point guard. But if he can consistently keep that up, I think that's good. that at least ensures them a winning season and maybe a little bit more in terms of seeding. Yeah, like look, my worries with Schroeder aren't about his talent. Schroeder has he has all star caliber talent. The problem is he just doesn't know how to rein it in and he's so headstrong he'll do what he wants. Like the comparisons with Rondo that came straight out of college were scarily accurate in more ways than just play style. There are similarities in personality there. Um that's the big concern. I mean if if his head isn't the game right and it's not in a way where he's going to upset the white. I think that's the key dynamic, as you said, pick and roll partners and everything. Millsap, whatever. I mean, Millsap so laid back. It's all going to be cool with him. He's just going to go and play. I feel like the Hawks roster is basically like that the whole way through with the exception of Schroeder and Dwight. Mm-hmm. If Schroeder's head's in the right place and he does improve, kick on and play well, he could really surprise. He could have a colossal season because he's good enough. It's just, uh, what are we now? Three years of him in the league? Fourth. Yeah, going into his fourth. Same as Giannis. Mm-hmm. I just still can't imagine what a consistent Dennis Schroeder looks like. That's a little scary now that he's the starter. Mm-hmm. Any other teams for us to talk about? I mean, we're pretty much in agreement on the others. Yeah, we, nothing. We get to the least, team that matters most. So that we do. Yeah. Before we do it, let's finish off on the general NBA thing. Let's do awards. Who's your pick for MVP? Remind <clears throat> me a drum roll right now. LeBron James. My pick is also LeBron James. Too many factors coming in. Uh, the high off of coming winning the championship. I think this so-called LeBron fatigue or whatever you want to call it, I think that's effectively over now. I think no matter how well his season is, and obviously, I mean, Steph Curry had an all-time great season last year, but if you look at LeBron's numbers, they're pretty darn good, too. I think if he does anything similar to that, I think that will overshadow anybody else's, maybe outside of uh, James Harden. I think James Harden might be the only one that kind of could steal his thunder, part of the pun in a weird way, but uh, where it looks like a kind of like a one-man type of wrecking crew, even though the rosters are totally different. It's. I feel like they're kind of in that same boat where they're so instrumental to eat both of their teams' successes. You know that if they get credit for that. I don't. I don't even know if Harden can. I. I think LeBron is the people's champion now. And it sounds insane that in light of super teams, everyone is drawn to underdog LeBron James. Yeah. Who has constructed his second super team at the moment. But it's like the Warriors just crossed the line by getting that extra guy. You know, it's okay having three guys. But if you got four, you got five. I mean, that's a problem. 
which really, let's be honest, Zaza, it's five guys the Warriors have. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I just think he's still the best player in the league. I don't, I don't even think it's that close. I like think the guy who comes closest is Kevin Durant. And there's going to be an element of Durant and Curry splitting votes from the Warriors camp, no matter how good their season is. And as a result, LeBron could just sort of surge up on the outside anyway. I think that's a real thing. It's it's not often you could have two true MVP candidates from one team. And if the Warriors have this historic season, you'll have people who say, oh, well, I think it's Curry. You'll have people say, well, I think it's Durant. And they sort of split right down the middle. And all of a sudden, LeBron sort of sneaks up on the blind side and wins it. I think he's going to be very good. I think the Cavs are going to cruise through this regular season. I don't think it's... I, I don't think it's up for debate. I'm not saying it won't be close, but I just feel like it's his. Mm-hmm. Defensive player of the year. Quiet Leonard. Wow, it's going to be boring. Same for me. Um, three in a row is quite the feat. He, I think uh, the way people have the perception on the Spurs heading into the season is kind of crazy. I know Zach Lowe has been harping about this a lot on his podcast too. There are that doesn't mean there aren't fit concerns, but to like expect like a huge drop off from the Spurs, this incredibly proven time after time team that just finds ways to kind of recharge itself. Um, I think it's way too premature to expect something other than a 50-win season, barring a you know a key injury for a long period of time. I just think it's crazy to think that. And to go that with uh, Kawhi, if this team is a top five defense, if it's you know it's not going to be historic levels like last year, but he, if that is the case, I think he gets much of the credit and it will probably be deserved like usual because he's just such a superior defender. That's it's just, it's insane. He's literally insane. <laughs> in, ter- in terms of Spurs generally, I think you're right. I think there's a drop off. Obviously losing Tim Duncan is not something any team, well, I was going to say not something any team wants to go through, but I mean, I guess as a Bucks fan, you'd be cool with losing Tim Duncan because it would have meant you had Tim Duncan to begin with. Uh, but <laughs> getting Pau Gasol, even at, at this these advanced years, he can still play. And it's important that it's someone like of that intelligence. There aren't many guys you can sort of plug into that kind of role for the Spurs. And the Gasol brothers might be the only two big men who could do it. That's why... There was so much talk when Marcus Gasol was a free agent, and I think it seemed like a perfect fit for everyone. That's going to help them a lot. Uh, for Kawhi, I thought hard about this one because I think Rudy Gobert is going to have a colossal season. But I just think in the current era of the NBA, if you are an incredible wing defender, you're going to come up against the majority of the league's best players. Yep. And if you're their designated stopper and you can do that successfully, you've got to win the award. Mm-hmm. You're the league's best defender. Kawhi is going to go up against LeBron, Kevin Durant, Paul George, 
James Harden. We can keep going. He's going to be switched on to Curry maybe at times. He can guard pretty much all spots, and he will. But just on your run-of-the-mill plays, he's going to be up against wings. And in the current NBA, your best players are still wings. Rookie of the year. Dario Saric. Oh my God, we're, we're three for three matching on this one. Sorry, it's made me uncomfortable here. <laughs> Wait, I, I, uh, I think he's got, he's gonna, everyone's being blindsided by all the Embiid hype, and obviously he had a good preseason. He played. Ultimately, he played. Yeah, but, but he, he did, he did good things. I mean, there oh, were yeah, highlights, yeah, there were things for people to get. A little bit carried away, but I just think when this bed's in and it's real games, we, we talked about this in the past. I mean, this was, I made this prediction on a podcast like middle of last season. Um, or definitely, I, I definitely spoke about it towards just after the season had finished when um, the Olympic qualifiers were going on. This guy, as much as like people like to make fun of, him not coming over when he did and looked down their nose on this. Because of that, he is so polished and he's just mm-hmm. ready to go. Mm-hmm. Once he gets minutes, which with Simmons out, he is now going to get the minutes. I just don't see how this guy isn't going to look head and shoulders above any rookie. He's not going to look like a rookie. Yeah. Anything to add? You're happy with that? I, no, I, I think that's perfect. I, I can't really... I think he... I actually think he... If they do play better than what I think or you think, I think he is probably the bigger reason. I think Ben Simmons' injury, as terrible as it is for everybody, especially for Sixers fans, just to watch you know, the first overall pick, you just want to see him play, obviously. I think Sarge is so much more proven and it's it helps them in the long run uh, or not long run. I think it helps them right away to get someone that can offer more than just passing in my mind. Six man of the year. <sighs> Evan Turner. Wow. I'm not confident about this one. I'm intrigued, though. It is interesting. Um, I, I went to Andre Iguodala. Mm. I, I feel like he will be the best six-man in the league. He should win it. Whether he does or not, that's a different question. Um, Turner's interesting. I mean, it could, could pay off in a big way for them, him coming off the bench. I don't know. You, you need to, you'll need to elaborate on this one. Tell me on Evan Turner, six-man of the year. Um, again, not super confident about this, but I think, uh, for, again, he's kind of like in that same, well, he definitely is in that same category as like Mozgov and laughable contracts, Ryan Anderson, but he is a very, I mean, if we were talking about this with MCW over the summer, if he was like Evan Turner, where Play within, he'd play within a role, you know, suit 
uh, you know, if he has to play spot minutes as a starter, you know, injury, whatever comes, he's not that big. He's not that bad of a starter in that sense. But I think playing with his role, I think he's actually a much better defensive player than he gets credit for. Um, I don't know. I, I think, again, a lot of it depends on how well the Blazers are and whether uh, he's obviously going to be sixth man for them. They, he's coming off the bench. I would say they already projected their lineup. I don't know if there's a guarantee of that. He should, but... He should come off his bed, the bench. But uh, I just think it, I think it works for them. I know the money is incredibly ridiculous considering all the players they have in front of them and even behind them, too, that they are play, paying like the same similar amount of money. But I think he gives them another option to work with if you know, guys like Crab or Harkless aren't playing well, uh, you know, various nights. I think he's a pretty, I think he's a pretty sure option for them. And I don't know. Yeah, I'm not confident about it. And I don't think he, I don't think he averages enough points to even probably get in that six man of the year range that, you know, voters tend to like. But it's definitely an interesting bet for me at least. Most improved player. <clears throat> uh, I know there's a lot of talk about second year guys like Russell, Miles Turner, maybe even Towns. Uh, I'm going to White Howard. Oh. I think I think if he averages even something close to what he did in LA or even like the first year in Houston, stays healthy and just Probably more importantly, just rehabilitates his image around the league. The Hawks are good, and he does that basically. Yeah, that's. I think that's enough for him to win. He has a he has enough name recognition to rise above guys, the younger guys, or even Devin Booker throwing like in that you know group of Russell Towns, Turner, all that stuff. I think most improved player to me at least. McCollum seems like an anomaly where he his role opened up so much that it you know uh, got this big scoring bump. Obviously, Jimmy Butler the same way. I think guys like Goran Dragic was not like Dwight Howard's level, but he was still like a known name. I think that's maybe this is it's not more about Dwight than it is just like he is a known name argument for, uh, for that I'm making, but. I think he's just. I think he's gonna have a really good year for them. Do you know who my pick is? Oh no, is it Jabari? Jabari Parker. Wow. I I feel really strongly about this. Um. I I just think and I have thought for quite a while Jabari is gonna break out in a big way. And we'll get onto it a little bit more in a second, probably, but. I thought he was hands down the book's best player in preseason. I sort of feel like that's going to continue into the regular season. He is not going to get the credit for it. He is probably never going to get the credit for that in his book's career. No, I think that's, I think it's setting up. That's set in stone, but I think that's perfect for him. I I don't think that's the position where he'll thrive. Um, Something I've sort of noticed 
I don't know, maybe it's his just how bad his defense was sort of flew under the radar for some national people. I think for a while they they knew he was bad, but I don't think they quite knew how bad. And now everything I read on the books, they kill his defense. And I find that funny because I thought he was a lot better in preseason. I have a feeling he is going to improve on that end this year. We were talking about this last year. I think think he – team defending, that's – it's hard to question that the reputation he has. One-on-one defending, I think that's – I think he's – average i think he's capable that's again it's one of those things like you said like it people it goes under the radar and then once it kind of breaks through and the same thing goes for his three-point shooting which it kind of drives me nuts at this point because it's just people value the if you're not shooting three-pointers or you're not making enough percentage or whatever the case is but they, uh, just, just on that, though, even a, on that, though, he's a he's a better three point shooter than Giannis, and that doesn't it gets sold the other way around. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can see like the books community getting to the end of December and being like, "Well, you know, okay, he's not a good defender. He's still got work to do." But you can really see the improvements Jabari's made, and you'll have national people still. It's like they've caught onto it late, and it's going to go there. That's a separate issue, regardless. But I just think Jabari could be in line to put up really gaudy numbers this year, and the sort of numbers that will catch people's attention and get votes. Mm-hmm. He's going to have the combination of highlight plays. He's going to be the team's leading scorer. Rank pretty highly in the league in terms of scoring. I, I think it was um, I think it was an Alex Bader piece for books.com. He his predictions piece. He made a prediction. One that I really liked was that Jabari will be the first book of I don't know how many years. Quite a while since Brandon Jennings, I guess. No, no, no. Who was it? Wait, wait no. If, if Have maybe a forty-point game. It's... This is. Oh, I'm thinking of something else. Never mind. I think he'll have multiple 40-point games. He had 36 this year. Yeah, I think he'll... I think we could see Jabari up around the 38-39 mark on occasion. And I I think he could get over that. I'm not predicting, like, 50 wins, anything like that. But... Or 50 wins, something like that, 50 points. Um, but I... I think he could a couple of forty point games. I just I really like the whole Jabari package. I think his defense, we're all critical of it and rightly so. What's important though is I guess the reasons why his defense is bad, as you alluded to. A lot of it is stuff that you could sort of look at and say all along. Well, if he ever gets up to speed and the game slows down for him, then he's going to start making better decisions and there's going to be a noticeable improvement very quickly. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what it is because he's not a guy, like he blows these assignments or he looks lost, but he's not a guy who you're going to say, uh, Jabari just lost focus there. 
when Jabari's on the court, he's locked in. Nothing matters more than winning the game. Like he's, Jabari doesn't lose focus like that. So if he reaches a point, and that could even come just via his offense clicking and reaching new levels, where he just feels more comfortable, everything's slowing down for him. I think he'll start to look a lot better on defense too. Be good enough all around to be most improved player. And I, I, that's when I see Yanis getting picks for him for some people. I don't see that. I don't know why. I think even if he has a really good year, I just, I don't know. I don't see that. I don't see most improved coming his way. Maybe that's just some weird thing I have, but not feeling it. Jabari, though, he's my pick. Last award, coach of the year. Brad Stevens. Quinn Snyder for me. I think, as we alluded to earlier, okay, a big part for the Jazz, sort of like the Pistons, is going to be how they weather the storm in their first 20 games or 15 games and injuries are an issue, if they can keep going. Not exactly sure what their schedule is like, but if they can come through those games playing well, I think he can make that team very good on offense. I know you said you'd have concerns. I see that to start the year. I think if everyone's healthy, he can. He now has the tools where he can really sort of build an offensive system. They've been really good defensively, but I think the tools are there. I have them at 52 wins, I think it was, which massive jump for the Jazz. That would nearly be enough on its own. I could see them with a top five defense and maybe a top 10 offense to go with it if they can sort of keep it together until Gordon Hayward gets back. It's a bold. It's the time of year to be bold. <laughs> look, at, look at all these predictions you've made today. It's not like pulling teeth to get any prediction out of you. Oh, come on. Man. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have much of a different argument with Brad Stevens. I think he's obviously gotten enough recognition as a coach, and rightfully so. Um, I, I just think it kind of achieving a fifty-one season for him is kind of reaffirms his reputation around the league, and I think. It's just hard for me to see maybe a guy like Quinn Snyder or some other team jumping in, having a 50-win season out of nowhere that we don't really know. I just think it's he's kind of long overdue to be coach of the year at this point, really. Yeah, that's fair. I just – I'm not sure if it's right or wrong. I do feel like he might lose votes for – the fact that there's an obvious reason why they could jump forward as well. That's true. Yeah, I mean, people could just look at it and say, oh, well, they got Al Horford. I mean, yeah, they were good. Like, regardless, he's going to be, he's a guy who every year for the rest of his career, he could be like top three in votes. It just, for me, I think it depends on what other people do around it. Like, that's that's one of those things with... Uh, it's been a factor with Pop not really winning as often as he should do. I think his Pop only won it three times. 
yeah, three times, 2014, 2012, 2003. Now, that's insane. It's completely mm. ridiculous. But there is this thing for coaches who are just so good and universally seen as great coaches, consistently good. They'll get overlooked on a yearly basis for the sort of trendy coach or the coach whose team made the big jump. Yeah. That's like last year. I sort of think he maybe he deserved it, but when there was all that buzz for Terry Stotts, and I feel like he came second. I think he did. That's normally the sort of guy who comes through and wins coach of the year. If the Warriors were five games, look at Jason. Off, I mean, if that wasn't Jason a historic kid, season, Jason Kidd two years ago. Yeah. And Bud, Bud won the year, right? Yeah. I mean, that was a huge jump, too. I. I like the outsiders. I think Stevens is a very, it's a great pick. It's a very wordy case. I just can see why he won't win it as well. And it, unfortunately, it doesn't really have anything to do with how his team will probably perform. Yeah, that's true. That's not books. I want to do a few predictions. I'm not going to lie. This, this might surprise some of you as well, who are familiar with the meticulous detail that we put into the Win6 podcast. But this segment is completely unplanned, so I'm going to make this up as I go along. Basically, though, what we had discussed is I'm going to do some sort of books predictions. The way I want to go with this is, first off, who do you think will be the most pleasant surprise on the books roster? Pleasant surprise. Who's going to be more important than we anticipate? And in a good way, not in a sort of they're important because they're sinking the ship on their own. Uh, well, this may be my, well, this is going to be a similar answer to what I will be coming up very soon. But I'm going to go with Malcolm Brogdon. Okay. Um, I I don't know. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I even feel like Brogdon qualifies anymore because his role is going to be so big that it's nearly not a surprise because he's just going to have to do something. I kind of like. I kind of like Tom Maker for this because I think relative to expectations. It was very interesting in the preseason watching what they could do defensively when he came on the court. And he did show the flashes of like being able to make jumpers. And by playing him at the four, he, they did manage to hide him in this way of where people are worrying about him being out muscled. I just, I, there's no real memories of that that stand out to me from the preseason. If it comes to a way where he can just come on, he's playing 10 minutes or whatever, but when he comes on the floor, that group can lock down defensively. Maybe he can make a jumper or two. That could be pretty big. Um, outside of that one, I like Jason Terry for this. Mm. 
I don't know what it is, but I feel like Jason Terry is going to hit a lot of trees in this team. A lot more trees than anyone expects. Because he is a guy who... He's a guy who basically... He should be playing for the Clippers at this point. Um, I think that's that's the consensus everyone has, is that, come on, he's so old that this doesn't really make sense anymore. He can still play, and... We've only seen brief glimpses. I want to say, was it three preseason games? I was even two. I know he didn't play the first. Right, I think it was three. But I can be... In those games, though, even when he came into those games, and this, for me, I don't want to take something from his overall preseason play. But the one telling thing for me was he was able to come into games and make an impact straight away. He just looks at home in the way the team plays. And... It feels like he can't come in off the bench and just pick something up. That could be really important. That could be as important as, say, Amir Tatletovic, who I think at this point we've all accepted that we're going to be banking on to do quite a lot for the team. So I guess I'm complete opposite ends of the scale there. 39-year-old Jason Terry and then rookie Tom <laughs> Talking of opposite ends of the scale, which player is going to leave us? I don't want to say most disappointed because I know what the answer would be on that. We just kind of the same one, um, but more disappointed than we'd expect this season. Maybe it's someone we're building up too much. Is there someone we're sorting? us as writers as books viewers maybe the collective books community is there someone who's being set up for a fall or a letdown on what they do this year mm. Mm. oh that's a tough one for me um I guess they're. I mean, there are pretty easy ones. I was just gonna say Rashad Vaughn, just because. That's why I changed the wording in the question, so we couldn't just both say Rashad Vaughn. <laughs> um, I mean, you'd hope he improves because he. I mean, his season, rookie season only makes like. Well, do we not agree two. last week we were gonna like embargo Vaughn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's too depressing. Yeah. We'd hope uh, he improve, but the team still haven't picked up his third year option at the time. Yeah, that's. I'm looking at it. at the same time as Snell is reportedly be in extension talks. Yeah, but I mean, that, that makes that makes ex, that makes sense relative to it. Snell is yeah. a player who could play in the NBA for multiple more years, which is why you'd give him a contract. Rashad Vaughn is not a player who could play in the NBA for multiple more years. Yes. So it looks right now. Oh. I've got I've got mine. So I got mine, what do you think? Yeah, you go first. Mine's plumly. I was just I think that's where I came. I don't think they'll get what they got in that small sample size last year at Miles Plumbing. He needs 
was it was it that Pacers game in preseason? It, it was. That was the only one where he really sort of ramped up the energy. And I think he finished 10.8 rebounds. Was active on defense, contesting stuff, was crashing the boards. That's what he needs to do every night. Every night. He, he needs to be right around that. Even if it's not – he doesn't have to score 10 points, but he needs to be like 8-8. Eight and eight. That needs to he be needs, sort of yeah. his average. That's a lot to carry. <laughs> Particularly, I think, the way that – he now has his mega deal based on how he fits with the core. If he doesn't show himself to be that seamless fit at the start of the season, things could get pretty dicey pretty quickly for him. I, I just I want to change my answer for the previous question because it corresponds with this. Because I agree that it might be Miles Plumlee. I think the biggest or bigger than we anticipated, I think it's John Henson. Because I think – I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I, I know every time we talk about Henson, we talk about inconsistency. Inconsistency. Oh, wow. Inconsistency we talk about. Oh, my gosh. It's not even hard to say. That was – I have failed myself. Uh, yes. The shakiness of John Henson. <laughs> uh, I know we talk about that every time we talk about him, pretty much. But as I was saying last year, I wouldn't be surprised if he delivers a similar type of role that Plumlee can do and maybe add in the element of shot blocking. Like, it's just, I, I feel like they're, they're not that far off from what they ultimately deliver. Uh, and I just, I don't know. If, if Plumlee gets hurt for a couple, maybe – you know, misses two weeks or something like that, and they ask Henson to fill out the starting lineup. That could be that, yeah. some, it, it could be something as simple as that, and they're like, oh, okay. You're right. That is that is the weird thing with Plumlee and all of this, is that he doesn't have any one skill that John Henson doesn't have or can't deliver. Like, if Plumlee also had a job... I would say maybe rebounding be just because Henson's... Hen- but I mean, Henson should be able to. He's just never put it together. But I mean, he it's really super sh- weird. He should be able to. Yeah. Uh, I think Henson. I spoke about this I know a while back. I've never been bowled over by Plumlee's screen setting, and that's something that I I think Henson is actually really underrated. At. Uh, maybe that's something that sort of. I know there's a lot of things that he credits to his time working with Zaza and that playoff season. Maybe that comes from that, but I I think he's actually quite smart at setting screens, setting screens within actions and working sort of off reads for bigger things within the offense. Mm-hmm. And that has, that has its own value. He's not the most skilled offensive player by any means, but he can do a lot of the things right to help the more skilled offensive players get to work. Yeah. Yeah, the only worry, though, then, is that Plumlee goes down for two weeks and it's Monroe who gets the minutes and, you know, it goes from there. We will not talk about that. (laughs) Plus, if Hanson gets the minutes, I mean, Plumlee has got this mega contract. Well, it's no different than... It's so different than like Henson, though. Uh, but I mean, Henson's is cheaper. Henson's is a good contract. It's difference of two billion dollars, though. 
Yeah, but I mean, Henson's rim protecting abilities, like his. Miles Plumley in his wildest dreams has never had the potential that John Henson has. Oh, yeah, but I'm just saying it is like, it would be like the same argument that we have with Henson. You know what I mean? I think it's worse because Plumley's was signed at the, the, like the height of cap insanity as that deal goes on. We might have one more year where it goes up. We will next year. Beyond that, though, there's no guarantees if it's stabilized in any way. By the time that deal is winding down, if he was still there and not a starter, that could be... I don't know. I was going to say like Pekovic, except Pekovic is always injured, so it's not a comparison. But <laughs> you get what I'm saying. It's just yeah. like this completely pointless piece of dead money that you don't really want to buy out, but at the same time, it's not doing anything. I don't know. I don't. I don't see him as being a complete bust. I just oh, don't. Think, I don't think it's going to be this smooth. Oh, he's just going to pick up and do what he did in that post All Star break time last year. I also think it gets forgotten all the time. Um, Plumlee didn't finish the season as starter. No, we're back to remember. There was like 10 games to go, I want to say, where they reverted back. It was a much shorter spell. It had to be more than that, honestly. I think it was like mid-March. Well, maybe that is 10 games, but still. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. It'd be... Obviously, the most intriguing thing with the books is just how they figure out that center rotation, how all that shakes out. No. Who do you think the book's best player this season is going to be? Oh. I know it's subjective, but I think like we're agreed on last year, Middleton was the book's best player. This isn't a big, wide-open race, really. We're talking one of two players. But which one? I think it'd have to be Giannis. Just because... I have... Again, I have... uh, It's no slight on Jabari, and I think ultimately he is probably the biggest... Uh, difference maker offensively for them in, in terms of starters. Um, I just think Giannis's playmaking, if that stays up, which I would, I think it will. I think defensively, if he kind of rough, you know, regains his reputation that he was, you know, building uh, after his second year. I think if he, I don't know, I just think having, becoming more of a multi-dimensional player, maybe adds a little shooting, even though I'm, like, I'm with you on that, where it's, that's still pretty tough to see just because of his willingness, and it's just, he knows his, what his strengths are at this point. Um, I just think he ultimately becomes their best player at this point, I don't know. The one thing I'm giving the benefit of the doubt on until we see real basketball rather than preseason, but that concerns me is 
kind of the extra aggression that Yanis has been bringing. I don't know if maybe that's coming from Middleton being out and feeling he has to do more. That's not good for his game. That leads to more turnovers, less assists. If that sort of trend continues throughout the year, I think Jabari, the more measured player, could be him. If Giannis gets a feel pretty quickly, which I'd imagine he will, and just learns when to back off, learns when not to just sort of charge in with your head down, try to get to the rim, learns when to pass, passes more, is more in control, like we saw the latter half of last season, then it's him. The one thing on Giannis is I don't feel... The numbers mightn't be completely sustainable. I, I think everyone will be better preparing for that. I'm not saying there's a big drop-off, but say I see people talk about, like, oh, Giannis is going to have 28 and 8. I can't see that. Don't think he'd rebound that well. 8 assists is a lot of assists. Don't quite see it. But I don't think that matters. If Giannis averaged 19, 6, and 6. If he did what he did after the All-Star prank last year. Yeah. Books don't, books don't need any more than that. Yeah. But I, I want to say, weren't his assist averages even higher than that post-All-Star break? It was... I'm looking up. 7.2. I don't think he gets quite there. I don't think he has to though either. Yeah. That's if he's, as I said, 19, 6, and 6, and Jabari takes a step forward as well. 19, 6, and 6 is insanely good. Over 82 games. This this isn't a sample size where we're going, well, post All-Star break, post the lineup change. 82 games, that's incredibly good. Yeah. Any other, can you think of any burning books, questions, predictions we need to make? I mean, what way do you see the books heading into the All-Star break after it? I wrote a little on this today in terms of what the books need to do in terms of a start. Do you see this team being consistent throughout? Or are we going to have slow start or fast start and then the opposite coming true I don't know I think I don't know it's it's tough to me or tough for me to kind of obviously you don't want to base everything on preseason all that stuff and with Middleton's injury, it's it kind of it, it changes it radically changes what the term is, uh, how everybody views this as like if it's a successful season or not. You know what I mean? Like obviously consistency for from Giannis, uh, you know, trying to if he can keep up like we just said about post all survey type what numbers, Jabari does a similar thing and kind of becomes, you know, the go-to scorer, I guess. Those are stand 
those always stand obviously just because it, that's it impacts the whole the big picture and everything but in terms of the season like in terms of win totals all the stuff getting con- contributions from guys like Delvadova, Toledovich, uh now Snell throw him in the mix Brogdon I think is going to be really important for them just because of backup minutes um you know figure out the big rotation there's a ton of things that go into this where I just can't, I don't know. I, I feel like last year, and I, we talked about this earlier today off podcast, but what gets, you know, obviously a lot of things went wrong last year, but what gets kind of like swept under the rug just because of how thing, how hopeful it was that things ended last year was just how bad of a start they got off to. I mean, the fact that they were staring at what, like four and three versus probably the like easiest part of the schedule. And then by the time they meet the Warriors and beat them at their 11 and 18 or something like that, like things just got off to the wrong start as in the worst way possible. And it's, you know, blowout losses. Uh, obviously kid had eventually had he had his surgery, all this stuff. So there's, there's, we kind of forget it just because it gets glossed over with how. That, that's a good point, though, is. that kid surgery, because that sort of gets mentioned as well as a thing that mattered. The season was over by then. <laughs> oh, no, it, was, it definitely was, but it was also. No, I know. I, I know you know that, but I mean, I feel like that gets lost in it. That's their start was bad enough that kid really could go and get the surgery because. The exactly. They and were they were in denial about that, or not denial? They, an organization, can publicly say in December, you know what, our season is over. But it was, and that's mm-hmm. if when they beat the Warriors, they had been two games below five hundred. Then yeah. maybe the whole season turns around. But they were so far back that even any boost that might give them was going to be not very meaningful and pretty short lived. Uh, yeah, agreed. Totally. It just added a layer upon this, you know, the hectic nature of the start. And really, I think if we're kind of being honest with every with ourselves, like the fact that it's no, I want to say it was like November 29th, that Hornets day after the game, I remember this vividly. And we get the news that Jabari and SCW are coming off the bench. I want to say that was a Sunday matinee game, wasn't it? A Sunday matinee game, yes. And that I think that was probably telling of what that season was. Just it was barely a month, a day after the month of the start of the season, and they're already making this pretty big change in the starting lineup. I think that kind of just <laughs> from that's, there, that's where everything just spiraled. It's funny, but retrospectively, that feels like it was deeper in the season than it was, and yeah. I I find there's lots of those sort of signpost throughout the season like that crazy kings game were you at that game um, i was at that game yeah the that was, sweepy at the ball that was game. early in the season that was the day before thanksgiving that feels like like when i think back on the season i'm like oh well you know that must have been february for things to be that gloomy as they were at that point no yeah. it wasn't it was like that from such an early stage and when you talk about they that had... hornets game like I find that weird because that's a moment from last year. I know exactly where I was at that time. I remember looking at my phone and that news broke and like, what the hell? 
Yeah. And it was so early in the season. Mm-hmm. That's just crazy. I remember, I think I, w- I wanted to say we were <laughs> just getting in the uh, thick of the misery of last year. Uh, I want to say there were like nine 20 point blowout losses before like kid left for surgery or something like that. I mean, they had the opening night, they lost what 28 points to, to a the terrible Knicks team. And they had losses like that to the Magic, who eventually fell off. Uh, Pacers, who were, you know, obviously playoff team. I mean, we could go on and on and on just about how terrible they were last year. And it just gets lost in the shuffle just because of how well things ended on a good note in terms of individual success for Milton Giannis and Jabari. That was a that was a big thing that I I want to say I felt more confident about before the preseason, but I thought they were going to be consistent, if not consistent, in terms of wins or results throughout the season to a point where we could say, yeah, there's no real difference between pre and post All Star break. I felt confident that this team would be more competitive and keep games closer. I still feel that way, but. I have a touch of trepidation in saying that because of the big runs we were seeing them give up in like the third quarter through a preseason. Mm-hmm. They have to book that trend. They have to kill it. I do not know how they just do that. I don't think that was something that sort of... There's no way of just going, oh, that was just preseason. That's why that happened. There's no easy way of explaining yourself in or out of that, particularly as we spoke about last week, because the books have priors in terms of allowing mega runs and blowing games. I'd like to think, though, that the roster is deep enough, first unit, second unit, and spilling over to guys beyond that, that this year they can keep games closer throughout. Moving on to another old feature one that we're sort of dusting down, bringing it back for the first time since April. This is our books staff predictions. Long-time listeners will remember, you'll be familiar, but just to, I guess, get any newer listeners we've had since the season ended up to speed. On our weekly podcast... I'm sure there will be times in the year where we have more than one podcast a week, emergencies and such. This is the books after all. But on our regular weekly podcast, this one here, which we'll be posting on Mondays, we will run through the slate of books games for the coming week. We'll take a quick look at preview, talk about them. And Jordan and I will make our predictions. The predictions work in terms of what team will win and by what margin. Ty Windish will join in with this. Um, last year, our champion was Mike Helm. Mike is no longer with the side, unfortunately, so there's a big opening for one of the three of us. I don't know. We might have some of our new writers involved as well. The way this will work, we'll predict on the podcast. Then in our preview pieces before every game, we'll have the list of all our staff predictions of those who are involved and our leaderboard of how things are going. 
So we were good last year. Yeah. We were better. We were better than we expected ourselves to be. We're better than the Bucks. Yeah, definitely. Our record was much better than the Bucks. That's because <laughs> that's because we picked against the Bucks a lot of the time. But um yeah, it's just a bit of fun. It's a way you can make fun of us when we're not doing so well. And make fun of us when we are doing well. Exactly. <laughs> Remind us of our past failures. <laughs> so starting out Wednesday, the Bucks opened their season at home to who else but the team who divided Jordan and I on our way too early season projections. Jordan righted that wrong tonight. It's the Charlotte Hornets. What are your feelings going into the season opener and going into it more specifically to face off with a team like the Hornets? How do you see that game playing out? Um, well, I think it's going to be interesting uh, from, from the bus perspective. I think it's going to be interesting if Snell... Uh, starts if he, you know, fully healthy from a sprained ankle. I want to see how he plays. There's, I don't think there's going to be a massive difference, but it's just, you know, our first look at him playing as a buck. Um, from the Hornets side, it's going to be interesting to see. My kid Gil Chris obviously comes back. Um, I think they're just. Obviously, my thoughts on them have changed, but I think they have, they're enough of a new-look team where they've – you want to see where they go from losing guys like Al Jefferson, Cordy Lee, Jimmy Lynn. Um, they go down, Jordan. That's the answer. Well, I know that. But I just want to see how they start the year. Uh, but anyway, my prediction – Think the Bucks win. They right the wrong that they did last year on opening night. Uh, Want to go ninety-five eighty-nine? Okay, you're you're forgetting how we do this. We don't want to put you under that much pressure. So you no, just I, me, I want the pressure. You just you just give me the points margin. So it's six six points. So you're saying win by six on winning six. Is that what you're saying? Win by six and winning six. Okay. No, win on um, win on. Oh god. So I'll In take consistency. over. Well, <laughs> well, Jordan learns to speak English. I'll take over. Um, this is something that we wouldn't have said at all last year. But I think the book second unit could kill the Hornet second unit, and that could be. Yes. The deciding factor in this game. Yes. Um, that is if the starting lineups and Jason Kidd doesn't throw out crazy combinations. I don't think he's going to. I honestly don't. And I think the Hornets having to try and deal with... I don't know. Moose. Long sessions. Oh, no, I think... No, but even purchase. look, Moose on Hibbert is not particularly pretty. You could get some Moose on Spencer Hawes, which, well, that would be fun for Bucks fans. Um, even a guy like Michael Beasley can have a lot of success against this team. Mirza Toledovic. If Tony, now of course this is the thing. It 
Kid sort of alluded to if Tony Snell, if they don't feel he's up to speed on in terms of books plays and everything, he won't start. And if that's the case, I'm guessing Mirza starts that lineup that they've been running out towards the end of preseason. I'll assume Tony Snell starts for the purpose yeah. of this exercise. If he does, I mean, Toledovich Monroe are going to tear up that second unit. I'm going to go books by... I'm going to go books by 12. We're going to get a feel-good double digits opening night win. And with that prediction, I've set the season up perfectly because I'm probably going to be disappointed after the very first game. What better way after that joyous opening win for the books? They have Thursday and Friday off, which I was, I'm sort of surprised by. It feels weird to me. Um, not starting on the Tuesday, then playing Wednesday, then being off Thursday, Friday before playing on Saturday. They host, yes, you heard it right, host. Not only do the books play at home in the season opener, but also their first Saturday game is at home. The Brooklyn Nets. Picklegate. Picklegate. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're listening here and you you know what Picklegate is, you're an OG. Yeah. You've, been, you've been listening here for a long time. You're a regular Clausen. That's a brand of a pickle. Fuck. <laughs> How do you see Saturday's game with the Nets going? W. It's not even uh, there's nothing to discuss here, really. If they don't beat the Nets, I think that tells us season's over. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> we wave the flag that says basically over. next week's podcast <laughs> is not going to be very fun for anyone if the books don't beat the Nets. Yeah, we'll have draft uh, profiles on Sunday if the books don't beat the Nets. <laughs> Um, I go 11. They win by 11 points, 11 point margin. I'm gonna go a little bit less because I think they'll take their be able to take their foot off the gas of the bench in for a long time to finish this one. Books by nine Sunday, 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 just before. We'll record our next podcast. The books will be in Motown. Face the Detroit Pistons. What are your feelings on this? I think it's gonna be their first loss. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with an L. Uh, I'm gonna say by thirteen. See, I kind of want to say they win that, but I can't predict three books wins for the if, first week. Can't if they have it. three, if they win three, the first three games, then we're waving a flag. We're having a parade already. I mean, when we talk about all the Reggie Jackson missing stuff we talked about earlier, I mean, why, why can't they, or why shouldn't they win this, even if they aren't this particularly good team this year? These are three games they should have a real chance of winning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to go, because they're going to be on the road, 
it's a slightly earlier start. Okay, it's not the longest journey, but finishing up Saturday night, then going to Pistons for a slightly earlier start on the Sunday. Pistons edge a close one by four. There you go. Predictions for week one of Bucks basketball. Exciting stuff. Mailbag time. First one from at Dunlap Sports. Do you think Giannis should match up with the opposing point guard on D? I would say no. I agree with Jason Kidd and John Hammond. Um, I'd say no too. I, I mean, the the most interesting question that for me comes out of this discussion is it feels like everyone is now settling on Giannis calling him a point guard. I still feel quite strongly about this. I don't think he's a point guard. I mean, the, the old adage goes, you are what you defend. And I, I see the logic on that. Um, I don't think Jason Kidd would want to call him a point guard either. I think he would call him a basketball player. And this might be one of the few scenarios where Jason Kidd calling someone a basketball player is actually <laughs> it's actually a fair answer. It's not just a cop out. Um, what what do you call Giannis right now? If you're, I mean, where it comes from me is when I write a piece. What do I what do you call him? What's his position? I call him Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's great, but sometimes you got to mix it up. It gets stale after a while. Um. What do I call him? For me, he's not the point guard. He's not. No, no, yeah, I don't call him. I, I've everyone is. I've noticed this, but he's just not the point guard. No one calls LeBron the point guard. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Yeah. He's a point forward. That's. I'm fine with calling point him a point forward. forward. I, I think that I wouldn't say he's in this in the same tier as LeBron and Giannis, I think kind of applies to like a Paul George type guy. Yeah. Maybe Aaron Gordon. If <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. That was a bad joke. That was a bad joke. Um, so that's not funny. Don't even joke about that. <laughs> I do think, uh, back to the original question, it would be interesting to see Giannis match up with point guards. Yes. Yes. I, I would enjoy seeing that in some sort of brief spell because, okay, logic would suggest... They're going to be too fast for him. Giannis Lent can negate a lot of that because his strides, he's going to keep up with them easier. His arms, he's going to be able to reach to block shots. Like, it is easy to say that if Giannis is matched up with Steph Curry, Curry is going to torch him, and it sounds logical. At the same time, even with his quick release, Curry getting tons of space from Giannis and then getting shots up over him isn't going to be easy. No. So it could be, it could definitely be a fun exercise. I'm a little surprised that they haven't experimented with that more. Why we haven't just seen them go, you know, he's the point guard. Let's see what that looks like. Um, Fun to see. I just don't think we will actually see it because if we haven't at this point, I think the books quite clearly think 
he's a point forward. He's going to defend forwards on defense. And that's it. Yeah, I think uh, I know the guys at Peru who have talked about this a lot on Locked Up Bucks, but putting him on point guards or putting him on perimeter type guys, I think he is very adept at that and he can even get better at that. But where he's so long, you kind of want him by the rim. And I think over time, I think he eventually gets, you know, really. I don't know. He becomes that kind of guy where he obviously is already doing that right now, but I think he just becomes a really good shot blocker if he lives up to that defensive, you know, potential that he has, where he bothers shot shots at the rim constantly and just he's just so athletic and long and all this stuff that it just works out for him to hang him by the rim, but just also have that threat of guarding, you know, perimeter type players. The next one. From at AT Snide. Most likely scenario. Monroe gets traded by mid-season. Monroe opts in and gets traded next summer. Monroe opts in and stays. I don't know if Andrew is intentionally leaving Monroe opt out here. Um, as in he doesn't see that as possible. But I guess that's also in play. What, what's, what do you think is the most likely scenario for, for Moose and his future at the books? Opposite and gets traded. You you feel that's what's the difference in that compared to now? If they couldn't find someone to take him on as one year deal now, if he opts in, he's on one point five million dollars more for that year, and he's still on a one year contract. Why does someone bite on that if they don't now? I think it just well, I think injury or that kind of uh, possibility hangs over this uh, primarily. But I just think having – I kind of view it similar to like – and we know this very well because reportedly they're one of, one of these teams. But kind of view it similar to what happened with Dwight last year where teams were trying to chase for him at the trade deadline. I'm not saying that Monroe gets traded at the trade deadline, but I'm just saying – the fact that he has his opt out or opt in, uh, or whatever you want to call opt in, opt out player option. contract, player option, yes. Um, I think if he chooses to exercise that or gives teams the benefit of the doubt, where he says, I'll at least, if you put me in a spot where I feel like I can, you know, get enough minutes, play the best to my abilities, and everything fits in and, you know, wins all that stuff, I think. Based on what happened last year and all the effects of that, I think I maybe this is wishful thinking, but I would like to think that it kind of changes his thinking. Where after he was signed, it felt like, oh, he's just going to opt out, and then the Bucks will work a new deal, hopefully, or something. Yeah, like that. That, I mean that option was there for a real. That's what the, that was the the only purpose of that at the time was. Yeah, he's going to get every cent. He's going to go and get his new deal with the Bucks then, and it'll happily continue on their way that sounds to me are you are you saying he gets traded late this season so no not really i think so it you, might you be... do think he opts in he's going to be in a contract year again and then he'll be traded yeah i can see that um 
More so, more so I not think, than I feel that's the. I feel like that's the least likely. Oh. I honestly, I don't see. He's 17.9 million, I want to say, is his contract after the option. He's saying he's making 18 million a year. Who's going to want to take that on for one year? Or, right, injuries can happen, but you can't just... It's not that easy to make $18 million for the cap space. I mean, for most teams good enough to have that motivation, they're going to have to give away good players, players who they justified spending that much on in the first place. I think he... Again, a sinking feeling, and you'll know better than anyone, Jordan, that I was, I was saying this a long time ago. You're I feel on the like train longer I, than anybody else. I feel like there's never something that I've been as right on the whole way through than Greg Monroe. Um, I remember writing the first piece, killing him, and people reacted in a big way. Um, I wanted him traded very early on, and I also said. And we might have done a podcast and he's solely on this topic. But but what if he what if he actually opts in? I mean, what we can't just say, oh, whatever his contract. No, what if he opts in? What if he's so bad that he goes, Well, you know what, $18 million sounds good. I'll just take that. That's a that's a good life move, if not a good career move. Yeah. I feel he opts in and stays. I know I, I, I talked to you about this. And it was also kind of a joke, but it, it wasn't a real thought I had. What if he does like it here? I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> what, what if he does? I don't what know. Is there to like? hey, what well, is there we, to like? What is there to like? Milwaukee's a great city. I mean, yeah, he but he's not, he's not going to make the decision based on Milwaukee. He's going to make the decision based on the Milwaukee experience, which includes the team as well. So No, no, not really. <laughs> I don't think... I don't think it would be wrong for him to feel hard done by by the team. As bad as he's been, they certainly haven't done anything out of their way to make the whole thing work, considering they signed him to a big deal. I mean, he has been thrown under the bus in certain ways. He's had his more than his fair share of trade rumors. Even like to this year's media day, once again, we have this thing where He's told, oh, hey, you and uh, you and MCW are going to run the second unit together, we hear. And he's like, well, that's news to me. I mean, uh, maybe maybe we read that wrong at the time. Maybe he knew more than everyone, and it was news to him that Michael Carter Williams was going to be there with him. I don't know. But oh, got <laughs> That did not come to fruition already. I, I don't feel there's any reason for Monroe to want to stay if the basketball isn't going well. Uh, right now, the basket wasn't going well. And I wrote about this yesterday, um, Saturday. For those of you who listen to this later in the week, I wrote a piece. And I think the biggest problem is the books are the losers in this. Monroe holds his own destiny in his hands. He doesn't have to share any of the details with any. If they find a role for him and he becomes this perfect fit off the bench, the books have this phenomenal season because they figured it out how to utilize Monroe everything goes great they win 50 games what does Monroe do next summer 
he opts out. Without a shadow of a doubt, he opts out. Because if he has that kind of season where he makes the books better, he puts up good personal numbers, he shows that he can sort of come back from adversity and adjust his game. You know what? He probably could get a new contract that gives him similar value, if not more. Or Remember, he's going to be 27 by the time that contract comes along. He might take less, but four years guaranteed. You know, that's possibly important to him at this stage. So I think if the books figure it out and Monroe fits really well, that's great and all, but he's gone next year and you're going to have that hole in your roster. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't play well, it really doesn't work out and his value hits rock bottom, he's going to opt in and take his money. And that is a terrible situation too because that's $18 million you could be spending on other guys to help you win and prove whatever next year. Trading a month ago was the best solution. They didn't do it. Trade deadline last year. That would have been the time. You know what? Let's just cut ties, cut our losses, do something. They didn't do it. Cut our losses, trade it for Tony Snell. I mean, really? You get the cap space back. This is something I said all along at the time last year when there was the teams like, say, the the Trailblazers was the perfect one because they had been interested. They had all the cap space. It's like, look, don't really look for You don't need to make the salaries match. Take something back and be like, okay, you absorb them. And then the book to get a player and have the cap space. That was the dream. Didn't happen. Pops in and stays would not surprise me. Next one from Metastic. More likely... Slow start, about 500 start, or hit the ground running? I'm going to go 500. The, the tricky part of this is, what do you define a start? At what, at what point does it yeah, well, like, move out from start? I mean, it could be, as we mentioned, looking at they could start 3-0. That would be great. It would be incredible. I wouldn't be that surprised, though. Um, really nice schedule, first 10 games. It's there for them if they can figure it out. As I mentioned in Peace Road today, though, it was there for them last year, and they couldn't have made a bigger mess of it. So we just have to see. I My instinct is hit the ground running. And if they can do that, the whole season could change. If they don't do that, it's over. They're doomed. Once again, Metastic, if Delhi ever drops 30 in a game, how should I celebrate? I'd say when Delhi drops 30 in a game should be. <laughs> um, What's his career high? I don't know, actually. Probably not 30. Is it 20? I, I'm guessing he's got 20 points before. I don't know, man. Well, Jordan Career is... high. 21 points against the Pistons on March 26, 2014. Huh. So, pre-LeBron. 
for the answer how you should celebrate i mean of all people matt that fantastic you should know the answer to this one i'd say put on a hawaiian shirt knock back some crown extra you go to Schlotsky's, get a nice sandwich I don't, I don't know if you should be adding anything to what you should do to celebrate jordan i mean oh if if delhi drops 30 <laughs> would you go and meet matt in Schlotsky's in a hawaiian shirt and I'm gonna move on now before it becomes yeah. a thing. Yeah, Next one to do <laughs> from uh, JKD47. Who are your favorite players on this team besides Yanis? Personality-wise, not skill. Personality-wise, not skill. Well, I like the personality of Michael Beasley far more. Just, far I knew you were gonna say that. I like Michael Beasley as a personality. Um, I feel like you like him in a slightly, I know, ironic way. I mean, no, 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 no. Come on, you don't want to hang out with Michael Beasley. I would totally hang out with him. He seems uh, like a changed person. Second time we went to China, it worked out for him. <laughs> well, then maybe we should get you to hang out with Michael Beasley because you'd learn. I feel like yeah. that's a great, I mean, we could do a day with Michael Beasley. What a what a piece that would be. Maybe we'd need to send cameras. Um, Jordan Tresky spends a day with Michael Beasley. Yeah. Jordan's I like eyes, the dreaminess there. It was just he was in this <laughs> magical place where him and Michael Beasley were spending the day together. Um, I don't know. I, I find everybody pretty much likable. Don't get back on the fence. You've been making. But no, I, I don't think there's a, there's a bad egg. There's no Gary Neal. There's no. Uh, it might be. Uh, there might be a bad egg or two. But what? Wait, what? There, there might be a bad egg or two. I'm not. Well, that's true. Um, my favorite player. It, you can leap aside Giannis out because my favorite player on this team is now Jabari. I just I just relate to Jabari. I get Jabari. Yeah. I get his personality. Um, he is the guy I think I now root hardest for on the books. I would agree. I also love Middleton. And I'd also agree with that. Last one from at Jared A23. We've sort of answered it, but look, we'll give the shout out. If Moose isn't traded, the team gels nicely with him and they're playing good. Do you think he opts in or out? I, well, I guess this is a little different. Do you think so? He isn't traded, the team gels nicely with him and they're playing good. So, what if rather than him having gaudy individual numbers, just the team clicks with him being a part of it? Is that enough for him to stay? Does he just then go? Is at that point where the whole wanting to be on a playoff team, wanting to be on a good team, where that kicks Starting in for, him. for the playoffs, as he put it. Yeah, the, would that kick in at that point and go? Well, let's do this for one more year and take eighteen million. I don't know. I mean, I just said he absolutely gets traded. I really, I don't know. Um. I don't know. We haven't seen Greg Monroe on a successful team. And 
once we do, if we do. Once we do, see. I said I if we do, I said I, once I, we do, you if we do. Yourself. You did, but I just had to point out. I think we're past the point. Yeah, there is a point with that where you're like, God, you feel sorry. You're like, that poor player has never been on a successful team. And then you're like, hmm, that guy hasn't been on a successful team. Why? I wonder Wonder why the teams that that guy has been on haven't been successful. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, I know Adam, I told Adam about this, but last year was the highest amount of wins Greg Monroe has ever experienced since joining the NBA. How sad is that? 33 wins, one up above. You must be right. Maybe he just, he's like, oh, I love this place. This is what winning feels like. 33 wins, baby. His, Greg Monroe's career is like up to this point is that, I don't know who sings it's that song. I want to know what love is, but just I want to know what wins are. <laughs> like. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> I, I think that that's... Air Supply or some 80s schlock uh, it's, it's band? very 80s power ballad. I don't know who it is. I'm happy I don't know who it is. I'm not a fan of power ballads. If there's any music I really hate, it's power ballads. But... Oh, I should have known. It's Foreigner. Oh, it is Foreigner. And wins are foreign to Greg Monroe at this point. How many winning seasons are foreign to Greg Monroe? <laughs> You've tied that up so neatly that I'm going to finish the podcast right now. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Add us on Stitcher. Follow us on SoundCloud. As I mentioned last week, please don't hesitate to... Leave us a five-star rating, review on iTunes. Those of you who did so, um, shout-outs, I think, to Metastic and Alex Koenig. Um, greatly appreciated. If you listen, please do that. We will be back next week. Otherwise, we'll have a week of books basketball to reflect on. Fine. Will we be happy? Will we be sad? You'll just have to come back and find out. Thank you, George. Thank you.